Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Hi, I'm Alexander Chester, and Av, what's your favorite part of getting a blowjob? And I'm Av Stanensky, and this is a microphone I use to speak into so that it can record my voice so that you can hear it on the podcast you're listening to. (laughs) Well, hi, I'm Katie Huffman, and yes, Larry, I'm a Republican. (laughs) Uh, Welcome back to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. We are here today to talk about Season 4, Episode 10 Opening night, which originally aired on March 14th, 2004. It is the first hour-long episode of Curb. And as we did for season three, for the season finale, we're very happy to welcome a cast member uh, from the episode to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good. And as you heard, it's Katie Huffman herself. So, Katie, uh, welcome to the podcast. Well, hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. What a fun idea. You're very welcome, Katie. Thanks for coming on. This is uh, we're both we're all really excited for this. Um, We're going to talk some curb. We're going to talk some producers. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's do it. So, Katie, let me ask you uh, right off the bat: How did you get involved uh, with this episode or with the season of Curb? You know, no one else from uh, other than Mel, obviously. uh, No one else from the real life producers cast is in the season. Uh, we can discuss the actual filming of of the producers that we see in season, in episode ten. But throughout the season, you're the only sort of uh, person who was really part of the cast of the producers who's part of the season storyline. So, how did you get involved? Yeah, I guess so. I I think I owe it all to Mel. He um they and Jeff Garland told me the first day on set that I was the first person to ever be cast without auditioning for the show. That uh, they didn't know me. I was always kind of curious. It's like, well, I don't know who else is going to play Katie Huffman, but you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Hold auditions, um, but apparently it was Mel. He said she just has to be. It has to be Katie. So Larry had reached out to Mel about doing this plot line, and then Mel brought you in. That's how I understand it. Yes. Okay. And were you, you know, obviously you're a very well-known actress on Broadway and in film and television. Did you have experience in, you know, obviously Curb is is filmed in a different kind of way. And, um, you know, I don't know, did you have experience in improv either on screen or even just improv in any environment? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's not like, it wasn't something I, I do all the time, but it, it's not something that scares me either. And uh, and it was fun. You know, I, it's always fun not to have to learn lines <laughs> and to sort of just do whatever. And to really realize with Larry particularly you know, if I don't say anything, it makes him so uncomfortable. It's hilarious, you know? So if there's nothing to say, just don't say anything. Just look at him like, hmm, aren't you curious? And then he would talk, talk about skewers, you know? <laughs> I wonder, does playing Katie Huffman in an improv setting, is that easier than playing Katie Huffman if you were in a, in a, in a purely scripted role? Because you can almost be yourself a little more. Yeah, well, I mean, I was hardly myself. I was a Republican with OCD on this particular 
uh, in this particular series, which, um, you know, I mean, I, 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 these, you know, these day, this day and age being a Republican or a Democrat is like, okay, there's going to be a fight. Uh, so I try you're to saying, stay. So you're saying you don't have a picture of Donald Trump in your dressing room? Um, no, I, what I'm saying is I try to stay very, uh, you know, I, I used to be uncommitted because politics were, are, you know, I think everybody's pretty corrupt in politics. But now, you know, I can say I was neither a Democrat nor a Republican at the time. Uh, and I don't have severe OCD, although I do type things in my brain a lot. Uh, but I think that's just to fill the time. <laughs> What does, so it's, what does that mean? You type things in your brain. You know, you type on a typewriter, like yeah. whatever I'm saying, I can so, be typing it at the same time. Oh, okay. So you're like <laughs> visualizing it. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Interesting. I'm a very visual person. Let me ask you, Katie, um, it's not uncommon uh, for some people, uh, you know, viewers or fans to think that the character that you're playing is who you are in real life, you know, in a way that no one would for characters, you know, that you play with different names. I wonder, you know, you talked about how the Katie Huffman in Curb is a Republican with OCD. Uh, are there people who, you know, you, you've met people on the street or in any circumstances, fans who have reacted to you and assumed that either one of those was actually uh, the real Katie Huffman? Well, they really focus on the Republican thing. I and imagine so. <laughs> of course. I was married at, at the time and I was also apparently single, you know. So, you know, there were a lot of things that were in, inaccurate and that's part of the funny part. Even when you see his old Seinfeld friends come on, obviously... They are versions, you know, they're Larry David land versions of themselves. Right. So uh, me, did you have any actual Republicans proposition you? Um, I have had hopeful Republicans and I've had, um, uh, what should I say? Uh, I'm sorry, my cats are very angry that, that they're not allowed in. Um, I should say I have had Democrats who made a lot of assumptions. Mm, okay. Okay. All right, we'll leave it. At, we'll leave it at that. Um, Katie, I have a question just about like the season as a whole. Um, and what, at, at what point were you Ewers, the rest of the cast, or maybe you or some others, either brought in on or became obvious to you that the this like producers within producers storyline of the season? Because to me, as someone who was not familiar with the producers before I saw this, I then went to see the producers after the, afterwards. Uh, um, actually, when Richard Kind played uh, Max Bialystok, so that was kind of just like a, a weird crossover. But I, I had no idea what was going on, and this was like the most clever thing I've ever seen in my life when it, when I finally like cracked together in my brain. Um, and I'm wondering, like, was it obvious to everyone exactly what was happening the whole time? Were you told, or was it like were you kind of just like along for the ride, like the audience? Are you talking about the season of Curb? Like the yes, whole like the whole season. The, the, the idea that, we, as we learned, that Mel specifically chooses Larry as his way to get out of the producers, which, of course, is, you know, the central plot of the producers itself, which is what makes this. I don't cool think episode. any of us had any idea what was going on. That's you know, awesome. That's great. Shooting. But, of course, most of us were very familiar with the, the original movie, which is. Right. Much more what this these episodes are based on than the yes play. yes yes I actually I I went out of my way to watch the 1967 or 68 movie before the season and I just watched the 2005 uh, Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick version this afternoon to prepare so I'm uh, I tried to steep myself <laughs> in the producers but you know you're so crazy you're saturated yeah I mean, that's I mean, right you won an Academy Award for that original movie so yes yeah. 
Yeah. So I was very, very familiar with that was the one thing when I got the call to do the first very first reading of the the play, you know, the first reading of the musical, they said, would you consider reading the role of Ula? And all I saw was Lee Meredith in a bikini dancing around, you know, with right, right. and she was 19 when she made that movie. And I was already in my thirties when they were asking me and I was like, bikini, I'll figure it out. Yes. You know, I'll just, you know, I'll starve myself and do lots of sit-ups, but then they absolutely changed the time frame and everything. You know, they changed the whole decade. They went a whole decade back to mm-hmm. make the play. So it's, they're quite different. And Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Thank God I could play her without dancing around in a bikini. <laughs> All, right, All right. So on that note, Av, if you're ready, why don't we jump into the recap of our episode? Yep. So we are at, we're going to be at home with uh, Larry and Cheryl, and they're uh, practicing lines together. Cheryl's reading for uh, Leo, and he's really struggling. Cheryl says, you know, why don't we change our plans? Why don't I go with you on the plane so we can practice lines together? And Larry's like, no, stay behind. You know, let's keep the plan. You have your NRDC meeting next, you know, in a couple of days. You got to go to that. The environment's much more important than my show. Um, Cheryl's like, oh, who else is? going to be on the play and he's like oh well you know of course mel and david and you know kate you know katie huffman um and cheryl's like ah i see what's going on here you don't want me to go because you know you want to go with katie who you're trying to maybe turn into your little uh anniversary gift that you have going on here um and let me remind you you only have three days left but you know new york city's a big place so best of luck you know it might work out for you now let me ask the implication that Cheryl's making here. And I guess the assumption the viewer is supposed to have is the reason Larry doesn't want Cheryl to come is it's going to impede his attempt to cash in on the gift. But Cheryl has at no point not been anything but like a fine wing woman. Like she's supportive yeah. of this. So I'm not sure why Larry's have you met the character of Larry on this show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everything, everything is a torment to him. Everything, you know, everything is uh, he has to plan and scheme and, you know, yeah. and that's why everything goes awry constantly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, he, he has his own reality, you know? Yeah. I would argue that like Larry David, as he's currently constituted has like very little chance of like, picking up just like a random woman in a bar but larry david with like a beautiful younger woman who's with him and is like encouraging ah. women in the bars please sleep with my husband like that's like a, i think a better chance that, that's a great point larry should have tried that all season that's a larry, yeah, like cheryl will get him someone like although like that, then it becomes like a weird thing that's like someone is going to be into but hold on but we don't i would assume that cheryl's attitude was hey you're welcome to do it but i'm not going to try because it's cheryl's challenging him she doesn't think he can get a girl and for I larry really also that would be his ego giving up right right I fair enough think, i don't think cheryl was it ever ever <laughs> thought that larry would ever get laid ever. I, I think she's right I, I think uh that's that was why she was okay with the uh with the offer yeah i mean she's Go ahead. She's openly challenged. Yeah, she's calling his bluff the whole episode, the whole season. Yeah. Well, it's not even his bluff. He's just, he's just like, not, you know, he can't do it. He's, you know, something will happen. Well, to fast forward to the very end of the episode for a second, uh, the episode ends and Larry is signaling to Cheryl in the crowd as he's getting the standing ovation. He's been a phenomenal success on Broadway and he's signaling to her that he has one hour left, which is like, is his implication that he's going to run off the stage 
immediately he's going to run out somewhere and well, he doesn't have to go too far. He was ju- he was just the star of a show on Broadway. Somebody he just signals to a woman in the audience and says, "Come meet me in my dressing room." Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what goes on on Broadway, Katie. Maybe you can like us. Right? He's a rock star. He just walks yeah. out the store, pick a woman, and get in his yeah. limo. You know? Yeah, I think that's the implication. Like, okay, now now I finally done the yeah. thing that this that could make this I, happen, and I hope it happened. Yeah, it should. Yeah. Someone out there is, is you know, is going to be happy enough. Yeah, as I said to Larry at the time, it's time for Larry to get some on this show, Larry. Yeah. Well, Cheryl's been offering him all season and he's been turning her down. So. Well, I meant in like in, in the entire plethora of the yeah. whole thing. It was like, <laughs> let's have Larry have some. Get some mm-hmm. on this show. Come on, Larry. Well, obviously, the Katie Huffman in the show, she felt the same way. So. <laughs> Well, you know, they, I was very manipulated. <laughs> I was very manipulated. You know, he that was, is true. That is true. Yeah, you know, we'll talk. Yeah, you know, we'll get into Jeff at some point. <laughs> Jeff isn't exactly. great. Jeff was working hard for him. Yeah, he's managing that whole thing. Um. All right. So, um, Larry's uh, heading to the airport. He meets uh, Jeff, and he's uh, he, Jeff is like really excited that. Uh, Larry has going to have like this three day opportunity to uh, cash in on the on the prize, you know, on the anniversary gift. You think it's going to work? And he says, "Hey, Katie's already here. Just to let you know, she when when she was here, she told me that she has like really severe OCD. And guess what? I told her that you also have OCD. And Larry's like, "What? What the hell? What are you an idiot? Like, I don't have OCD. What am I supposed to do now? Um. Anyway, oh hi, Katie. Katie walks in. It's you, Katie. It's and. Me. Uh, you got your coffee, and you're like, oh, I just got the coffee. 123 steps in that direction. Um, he tells, you know, oh, Jeff told me that you also have OCD, and, and you know, they're both complaining about OCD together. Larry's like, yeah, you know, the counting, the cleaning, it's such a pain. Um, Schwimmer comes running in. Um, he's, like, a little interested in seeing Katie, but not a lot. He's not remote. Like, he won't give Larry the time of day. He's, like, won't even, like, make eye contact with him. Um, but, like, he's running off to the Admiral's Club, and, yeah, yeah. He's doing his own thing. Hey, Can I tell you the really exciting part of that day? <laughs> Shooting that. They shot it in a little airport that I think is in the valley somewhere that, that barely functions as an airport anymore. And we all got, it was very low tech shooting this show. We had one trailer when we would be on location and Larry shared that trailer with us. There was like, there was nothing. But we we all got driven to the small airport and Larry arrived in a helicopter. And I just sort of bowed to him like he was the king. But it was very exciting. And there was Larry. But yes, do you have a question about um, being manipulated about my OCD and teased? Yes. Well, Katie, I actually want to ask you about the filming. So was everyone we see in the scene, were those extras or were those actual travelers in this little airport? All extras. Oh, Okay. As, wow. Yeah, as far as I can remember, I really don't think that this was a little airport that was functioning anymore. Yeah, because um, I, I like to imagine when I'm watching Curb that because it's sort of improvis- improvisational, that sometimes when they're on location, some of the people on set might actually be just people actually in that location. But realistically, that's probably not the case. But that's why I like to try and imagine it in my head. So SAG doesn't like that so yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. You know, Green Actors Guild doesn't come yeah. to that. Yeah, so it was, at the, it was at this point in the episode where I think for the first time in the season, I realized how, I mean, and Katie, you'll tell me if this is, I'm wrong here, but I assume, you know, rehearsals for Broadway musicals don't take place in Los Angeles with the whole, like, what, what is going on here? This is insane. Well, 
you know, I mean, all of those rehearsal scenes are ridiculous. It's like, well, they, like they're not even going to do like they don't even do like a full dress rehearsal. Like, this is crazy. Well, I don't know. I think believe me, top to bottom, there is nothing in that room that happens in a real rehearsal room. But I think that's what makes it ridiculous and hilarious because it's not just that it's not accurate. I mean, accuracy, who, accuracy, who cares? But like the, the choreographer, he's improvising what he thinks a choreographer would be and do. That makes me laugh more than anything else. I'm like, oh my God, this guy thinks that this is how choreographers are, you know? So yeah, none of it is accurate, but why be accurate? Why let the truth get in the way of a good story, you know? Yeah, and have, I saw Fish in the Dark, uh, which was Larry's show on Broadway, and I know Av did as well. I think that saw half of Fish in the Dark. You saw half, yes, that's true. I think that uh, Larry's perspective is that Broadway sort of works the way that um, (laughs) that it does on Curb here because it was a very funny show, but it it seemed more like an episode of Curb than uh, you know the most. uh, professional of uh, Broadway productions necessarily. Yeah, I did not see it, but I, I heard that, um, yeah, there w- it, was, it, it was less than um, consistent, I'll say, as the, as the show went on. But people really enjoyed it. It's Larry, and it is like an episode of Curb or Seinfeld. Yeah. So, you know. It, w- it was Curb with Rita Wilson playing uh, Cheryl, basically. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I, I went to see it and I got, there was like crazy traffic on the way there. It took me like over two hours to get there when normally it would be like 40 minutes. And I got there like three minutes late and they had like a rule for this play that if you're late even a second, you can't go in till intermission, which most plays, I've most shows I've been to, you know, like they like, you stand in the back and like when they're doing like a set change or something, like they let you quickly run to your seat. And so I would, you know, that kind of like really ruined the whole experience for me because um, I was just like in a bad mood. But like I decided after the fact that like this must have been some like weird Larry neuroses because like once he went to a show and somebody came in late and it like he got distracted and then it ruined the whole show for him. So like when he made a show, he made this rule that nobody could do that for it to anybody else. Did they not so even I video of the show playing? They had like, yeah, like on like a little screen and like a, in like a, you know, but it's like, you know, you got excited to go to a show and then, you know, you're watching it. It just kind of like dampers the whole day so but you know it seemed like everyone else was having a really good time when i was there so <laughs> who had seen the first half of the show but it was you know it was fun um anyway so we're on the plane now and larry's sitting next to jeff and he's like you know it turns out that ocd thing was pretty smart uh we're really bonding over it um and like you know he kind of like keeps peering over at jeff jeff's kind of just like sitting silently staring at the scene in front of him he's like oh yeah like what's going on you have something to read he's like no nah, i'm fine like oh you know i'm just gonna sit here and like larry's just like no this doesn't work like yeah i feel i feel the same as larry like if i saw like if i was with a person who's doing that like it would like just it would eat away at me like at how bored they must be well i mean this is an exact replica of a scene in seinfeld with elaine yeah, and putty with, with putty and, yeah yeah and elaine is so disgusted she breaks up with him yeah it's yeah it's you just want to stew in your own thoughts for that long what's crazy but these are the scenes where we always wonder um you know and and i don't know maybe katie if you have insight to this or not because i assume this happened with larry and the writers before filming but did somebody mention to larry hey larry you know you made this exact scene already on your other show or does he not care (laughs) it's his to do you know i mean he's only stealing from himself Mm -hmm. um i actually uh i wore a costume in a play i did on broadway designed by um, Anne Roth, and it was a very famous uh, teddy where the, there are these hands, looks like the 
the bustier has hands holding my breasts. And there, it's a very famous teddy that Barbara Streisand wore in a movie. We're like, well, are you allowed to do that? She's like, I designed both of them. I can do whatever I want. So I'm yeah. sure Larry has the same, like, it's my idea. It's a good idea. I'll do it again. But do now you know, I, do you know I, where you're, the storyline of you having OCD, how that Larry came up with that one? No. He just no, said to I you, can't. you have OCD on this. Uh, <laughs> That's it. They, and believe me, they give you very little information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like, and just enough. Sometimes they give you an outline. Sometimes they don't. Um, if you like something, he'll talk in the middle of takes and say, hey, that was good. Go back. Make sure you say that again. So let's take, I do not know how the editors do this show because it's two or three cameras going at once. There's no visible take one. I mean, there are take ones and take twos, but sometimes we'll just double up and do them in the same take. Um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting process and those editors do a great job. I never see, a, you know, it never looks wonkier out of context. So do you, do you watch, do you ever watch, do you get an opportunity to watch filming of scenes that you're not in or almost it wouldn't matter anyways, because it's so hard to know which part is going to end up in the episode anyway. Oh, I don't remember anything not making it in the, into the episode. Well, what I'm saying, I'm just curious, like, for example, you know, to get into the, to the world of, of the episode, for, for example, Jeff and Larry having a conversation where Jeff tells Larry that he told you that Larry has OCD. Like, do you, are you told, like, did you know ahead of time or either because you were told that explicitly or because you had watched them filming it? Oh, so Larry has been told by, by Jeff that, or I have been yeah, told that I, I, I did see them shooting the scene, mm-hmm. but it's information. I mean, I guess my character doesn't need that information. It's better not to, but I am an actor. So it's kind of good to tell me, yeah, you know, what's going on. And, you know, I pretend I don't know. Um, yeah. But for some reason, you know, when they shoot in that airport, you shoot all the scenes that take place in that airport. When you shoot on that airplane, you shoot all of the scenes that take place on that airplane. And as I said, there was no budget for Curb back then. So there was nothing else to do but watch. And it goes very quickly. You know, it just they just shoot it and they go and then you go to the next thing. There's not there's not a whole lot of hurry up and wait on Curb Your Enthusiasm. At least there wasn't back then. And it really is impressive, and it shows, I guess, how much that you know you actors enjoy being on this show. That you know, given that low budget, it's not a, it's not you're not doing it for the paycheck. But David Schwimmer, who was literally on the biggest show in the country at that time and was making whatever a million dollars an episode, he's like, oh sure, I'll, I'll interrupt filming a friend so I can come film this show. Well, I tell you, I mean, you know, there were a lot of richer than creases people working on that show. You know, they there was Seinfeld people and Friends people. Yeah. You know, so what do they care? It was us little guys. who's like, eh, you know, yeah. <laughs> we can take a little more. <laughs> right. As Larry says, it's only money, which is easy to say exactly. when you have five hundred million dollars. Yeah, only money. That's right. It's only Broadway money. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I. I don't think. I mean, it was so much fun. It was so much fun, and I think these guys, particularly Larry, who had. You know, I, I mean, I, I have friends who've known Larry before this show, and you know, he. The, the stories are hilarious. I mean, he did not always have a pile of money. Right. And so I think he just wants to work doing what's fun. And that's what this was. 
Pete's yeah, well, I, yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, the show largely to an extent is about like some guy who has no business being in like high society life other than like he wrote some dumb show that ended up being the greatest show of all time and fell into a billion dollars. And now all of a sudden he's just like thrown into this like place where he's like, I don't want to follow all these like social rules and stuff. You know, I'm going to do my thing. Like I'm like Larry from Queens. Yeah, he's hilarious. He's still there. If that's what everybody really wants to know is, is he like that? You know, and it's like, well, yes and no. I mean, he is, but he's not as big. And you guys cuss on this show? Yeah, sure. Say whatever you want. <laughs> We're talking about Curb. It's hard. To it's Curb your enthusiasm. Yeah, we have to be pretty loose with that. He's Larry. He's just not an asshole. You know, that version of Larry is an asshole. Right. And say anything. Whereas real Larry is very sweet and, you know, kind of quiet. Like all of those very funny men, Larry Charles, Larry David, Bob Whitey, they would just stand in these little huddles and giggle all the time, thinking about things to do that would be funny. You know, I just think they were having a ball. It had nothing to do with what's funny to us. And that's what they make. Yeah. Well, they've, they so far, they have a very good track record of what's funny to them being funny to many yeah. other people. So right? <laughs> good they're for them. That's, that's, you know, uh, I guess that's how the best comedians operate. Though. But Larry had to stick to his guns about what makes him laugh for a very long time before. Right. Very true. That's true. Very long time. Yeah. He, he, he we're not it. laughing. Yeah. <laughs> we're not laughing. The comedians are laughing. The audiences were not. So obviously, it's ahead of his time. He was able to hone his skills. Or we all just finally caught up, you know, and caught on. But, uh, you know, that was a man who stuck to his guns. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So we're back on the plane and uh, Larry sees uh, David Schwimmer get up and go quickly uh, whisper something to a flight attendant, uh, played, of course, by Yvette Nicole Brown, now uh, one of the stars of Community. Uh, or at least that's where I know her for the most part. I'm sure she's in other stuff as well. Um, and she quickly comes back over to Larry and says, hey, excuse me, sir, you know, we're about to take off. You need to put your seat in an upright position. Uh, and Larry's like, did David Schwimmer tell you that, like, I had my seat back and, like, I should move it? And she's like, she won't answer him. She, you know, he keeps pestering her. And she's like, sir, if you want to stay on the plane, you need to put your, side, your, your seat in an upright position. And, like, that's that. Um, so, fine, he does it. The flight, they take off. The flight goes on. And Larry, you know, turns to Dave and he's like, hey, did you tell the flight attendant that, like, I need to put my seat up? And Schwimmer is like, what? No. Um, he's like, yes. Yeah, so then what did you talk to her about? What were you saying? And he's like, I don't have to tell you that. That's not your business. That's privileged. Um, yet, of course, we know very important passenger flight attendant confidentiality is yeah. paramount. Cannot be broken, <laughs> even if in court, like she, she could not, you know, she could not reveal what was told. Um, so, you know, no, he's not finding out. No one will say, um, then we just get like this random fun scene of Larry going to the bathroom and he like, he's about to start peeing and, uh, there starts being turbulence and like, he's like trying to hold on, but pee at the same time. And like, it's just, you know, it's very funny. He's just like rumbling around as, uh, as he tries to pee. And like, I think the implication is that pee is probably spraying all over this bathroom. Yeah. I think he actually had that experience. I think that's why I was there. Av and Katie, let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, Larry's manager comes with him. Jeff is traveling with him. He's on the plane sitting next to Larry. Nobody else's does, right? Is Larry a bigger star than Schwimmer? Is Larry a bigger star than Huffman? Like everyone else is traveling solo. But Larry needs his. <laughs> yes, he is a bigger star than Huffman. I can tell okay. you that. Yeah. Um, I think he is. Um, uh, I think he's a less secure star. He needs his. Yeah. 
his comfort blanket is Jeff Garland, you know. Yeah, we never meet any of Schwimmer's, uh, you know, traveling party. Once he gets to Manhattan, he has quite a party. It looks like in that suite. But um, the only person I think we meet in L.A. the whole time is his dad. The uh, the the implication maybe being that they're in coach. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's true. I see. You know, they might all be there. Yeah. But Jeff Jeff charges Larry for a business class seat or first class. That's right. Yeah. Jeff insists. Yeah. So, so Katie, this is a question that we get into all the, very often on this show, and maybe you could uh, shed some light. So, like, we, we, we do we do a, a feature later in the show where we kind of like try to gauge the like the relative fame of different celebrities, like the fact that like David Schwimmer plays himself versus some like uh, a different actor might play a character, and like how that how that shakes out. And what we always get into is trying to gauge how, how famous Larry David was before Curb Your Enthusiasm. So, you know, to the random person at home, like if you're a diehard Seinfeld fan, you're probably aware of who Larry David is, but like you don't really know much about him other than he was Jerry Seinfeld's like writing partner or something. And, you know, he was, you know, he was one of the writers or the main writer, but like you certainly an average fan on the street wouldn't like recognize Larry David in like 1998, 1999. Um, But I wonder if like within Hollywood was Larry David already then like much more famous relative to that, where like everyone knew Larry David because he was a creator of Seinfeld. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, okay. that, I mean, and who, what actor doesn't want to meet the guy who created Seinfeld? Yeah. We're going to actually, so even would... reality TV stars. We see Colby Donaldson uh, in the last episode. Yeah. yeah. Because... You know what? And by the time this is the fourth season, it's already a huge hit. Right. You know, Curb is already a huge hit. So I'd have to go back and watch those first three seasons again. But um, yeah, I'm sure it's a lot of his friends. You know, yeah. Larry has a lot of friends. Um, but but of course, in the world of Curb, at this point, Larry's not that famous. He's just the anonymous creator of Seinfeld. In the world of Curb. Yeah, outside, yeah. outside of Hollywood. Of but by the time you do Curb, Seinfeld's already been on for how many seasons that they did? 11 seasons or nine seasons or something. Yeah, so no. We all know who Larry David is. And if I didn't know who Larry David was, my agent was sure to tell me yeah. who Larry David was, you know. Yeah, no, fair enough. No yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very interesting, though, how like Larry David, though, went to like now he's like, like one of the most recognizable people. Like everyone knows Larry David. Like, even if you're not like a Curb fan, like he's just like, you know, he's just. He well, now he's Bernie Sanders for crying out loud. That's right. Yeah. He's just everywhere now. Um, anyway, so, uh, we arrive in New York, we're staying at the Regency Hotel, uh, Larry's tra- checking in and like, he, he goes through a series of experiences with bellhops where they, you know, he, he intends to give them a tip, but all he has is twenties. And of course he's not giving a 20. Um, and you know, he does this first to the guy outside then he comes inside. There's another bellhop. He has the same thing with, and he says, you know, I'm going to come back tomorrow and I'll give you, I'll give you a tip. Like, and to both of them, he's like, yeah, you think I'm lying to you. I, you know, I detect a sense of, uh, skepticism from you. Um, so he's like, you know what? Fine. He gives $20 to the guy inside. He's like, you go split it with the guy, Tim from outside. And now, you, you know, I took care of both of you. And the guy says, of course. Um, then there's a third bellhop. Who's the one who takes him to his room. Um, this I think is my favorite scene in curb. Like I, I do this all the time in my life. Yeah. Th- um, no, this is, I think this, yeah, this scene with Zachary, uh, Levy as the bellman. It's one of the more celebrated scenes in curb history. I think. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I do this all. I do this basically every time I go to a hotel and like, Zachary Levy, and by I, the way, he's like a time. total nobody at this point. Right. He's like a young actor, but he hasn't, he's not like, he's not prominent the way he is now when we see him on screen. Right. 
isn't he Chuck? But I'm, I'm saying at the time when he first films this. I think he was already Chuck. Uh, he was? Okay. Because we no. also, like Stephen Colbert later on also plays someone, and I think Stephen Colbert at this point, he, I think he had been on The Daily Show, but he certainly yeah. wasn't. I mean, he, he had been yeah, on like the was Ben like Stiller a show in yeah. the 90s and stuff, but he wasn't, you know, Stephen Colbert. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, Zach. I mean, I would want to look up some dates there, you know? I mean, I forget that, you know, Zach Levi was in that. It's just like, oh. All right, so what year? We're in 2004, so... Let's go yeah. to the IMDb and check it out. Yeah. The IMDb, y'all. Yeah. Chuck started in 2007. So this is just ahead of that. God bless him. That's hilarious. Yeah. He yeah, only so has he, three uh, credits before that, three TV movies where he plays. Uh, it doesn't yeah, seem so like. Larry, uh, Larry bought low on him. Well, so then that's multiple people he's got on this episode, right? Yeah, Yvette Nicole Brown. Yvette Nicole Brown, Stephen Colbert, uh, Maz Gibrani, who plays the, uh, the electrician. He's a pretty well known comedian. Yeah, so this uh, this episode is like stacked with people that would go like really big in the next few years. David Schwimmer, Larry David, yeah, David Schwimmer, him, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Diamond <laughs> in the Rough, right there. Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks, come yeah. on. There were some very interesting people. It's you know, it just makes no sense to me to try to figure out who did what. Yeah. Serious. Um. So yeah, anyway, so so Bob yeah. was saying, yeah, that's what we like to speculate about. You know, Ed Asner. Uh, or Gina Gershon, they play characters on the show, right? And so that's the sort of the game that we play, like, you know. Yeah, that does not happen much, right? That Yeah, right? That's a good game. I mean, you guys are much more up on that than I am because, I, you know, most... Yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's, like, fun to try to, like, figure out where is, like, the line of fame, where it's, like, if you're above a certain line, you're playing yourself. Like, and that's, like, why you're coming on is, no, like, do a cameo. Gina Gershon's a pretty good, big star by then. I think I think maybe if you're like a big actor, you might actually say to Larry, you know, sometimes, no, I want to play a character because, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess that's it's changed over the years. By late curb, it, that this is out the window. Like people play characters all the time. But like, I think it's still at the point where we're at. Like if, if you're David Schwimmer, you're not coming on on curb at this point. That just yeah. wasn't on curb yet where somebody wasn't playing themselves if they were like uber famous. Like well, but Ed, 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 Ed Asner was like, you know, famous for that. I mean, yeah. showgirls had already come and gone. I mean, she was, she's very recognizable. Yeah. It's probably yeah. more fun to play a fictionalized version of yourself. Right. Uh, it's all uh, fiction to me, man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. It's all right. Katie, it's I'm playing myself right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, life is fiction. Who knows? All right, so yeah, so let's get back to the hotel and Op, tell us about the scene with uh, Zach Levi. I do like that you guys are figuring that out. <laughs> and you're judging us on how famous we are. Oh, um, we have no idea. We're like guessing. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, so we're following this uh, this bellman. He says, uh, you know, he's showing light around. This is your key. Gives you access to your room. It's a card. This is the card slot. You simply insert the card into the slot. There's a beeping. You wait a second. Firmly apply pressure, and in you go. Um, suddenly, amenities quickly. We have a telephone. Dial nine to get out. There's a television here. Okay, got that. Just open these, and you have remote control to power on off. Uh, a channel up and down. A mini bar underneath. Uh, thermostat for temperature control, bathroom, turn on the water, and then, and no, sorry, this is, and this is where Larry takes over, and he's like, yeah, I know, you turn on the water, you go like that with your wrist, and the water comes out, um, and that's a window, you walk over to it, and you can look out, uh, that's what it's for, right, yeah, um, yeah, I do this all the time now, I go to the house, I'm like, oh, this is the light switch, you turn it on, you go over here, you put your stuff on, this is the bed, it could hold stuff, or you can sleep in it. Are you saying this, are you saying this off to your wife, or, or to the bellman? <laughs> 
I, no, I, I, yeah, I say it's my life. Yeah, because you do it to kids. the bellman. He's like, listen, asshole, I'm just here to get my tip. <laughs> my kids like it. My, my kids think it's good shit. They just like, yeah. they think it's funny. They don't, like, they don't know what I'm doing, but they're like, oh, daddy's just like narrating the hotel room. That's funny for some reason. <laughs> Is your wife looking for a tip? I don't know. Yeah, um, maybe she was. That would explain a lot. See, yeah. there you go. How much do yeah. I pay you to shut up? <laughs> maybe we don't want to get too deep into that scenario. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, um, again, the guy's like, you know, he's, you know, heading out and he's kind of making the look like he's waiting for his tip. And, you know, again, Larry gives him the whole spiel, you know, oh, I only have 20s. Obviously, I'm not going to give you a 20. That would be nuts. And the guy's like, yeah, that would be nuts. And Larry's like, what? People sometimes give you 20s? Oh, so, yeah, you know. Um, anyway, um, he's not giving him 20. If, you know, if I give everyone, to you, you'd end up with more money than me if I gave you 20. Um, I, I kind of think Larry should just give people 20s. Yeah, I think he could handle it. Yeah. You're Larry David. No, so he should just carry a wad and whatever comes up next. This mm. is yeah. It's also, yeah. it's it's like a real, like, you know, faux pas to be going to a a hotel environment, especially when you're sort of known as a, as a celebrity and a deep-pocketed person like Larry is, and not have a bunch of cash on you. I almost, to get as, as Jewish as I possibly can on this podcast... I, I almost imagine like when you're in Jerusalem and you walk to the Western Wall, you know ahead of time, all right, I got to have a bunch of loose change in my pocket because people are going to be expecting loose change. You know, a lot of uh, uh, people asking for uh, donations and, and, and whatnot. And so I feel like you're Larry David going to a hotel to not have a, a stack of, of 20s or 10s or whatever denomination you want to hand out. seems like a big mistake on, on your part. But... I think it's a mistake on Jeff's part. Jeff should That's be... true. Yeah. Jeff's the manager. Jeff yeah, should that say... should be Jeff's job. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, it's not really I... clear what Jeff does in this show. I'm going to there, there are guys who are, uh, you know, in in the uh, the social crowd of uh, certain uh, musical artists, for example, and athletes, who their job is to carry lots of cash for when they attend the strip club to have the cash readily available. And this is like a specific position for one guy in the group. So He's I feel like. like- Bob's wife, who wants tips for knowing what happens in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, what, I, I thought I had something to say, but I think I lost it. So we're moving on. <laughs> um, so uh, all of a sudden the phone rings and it's Jeff and uh, he says, let's go out. Larry says, no, I got to practice. But basically Jeff convinces him, let's go out. Um, so they head down to the bar and Jeff is chatting up this woman named Christina and Larry comes in. She's like, what's your guy's deal? And they say, you know, first they make this up, this whole story about how they run a pet grooming business together and they tell her all about it. But eventually they're like, nah, 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 that's not the real reason. Really, he's starring in the producers. It's opening in two days. That's why we're here. Um, turns out she's a fellatio teacher, which apparently is a thing. Um, Larry, you know, Larry, of course, also is just like, well, okay, obviously, like Jeff set you up to this. What's really going on here? But it turns out it's true. And Larry's like, I can't believe it because I don't know why anyone would ever do that. The penis is grotesque. Um, she insists, no, it's beautiful. And anyone who doesn't do it is missing out. Larry's um, flirting strategy is to neg himself, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Well, this is why Cheryl knows he has no shot. Yeah. Like eventually he's going to do something like this. No game. Yeah. A man yeah. of zero game. Yes. Now, I think we have to give a little credit in this scene to Jeff. Jeff is being a great wingman, especially like given what we know about his lecherous behavior, especially when he's in New York. Like last time him and Larry were in New York together, we discovered that Jeff's got a little girlfriend on the side and, you know, he's uh He's, you know, not exactly being very respectful of monogamy, and certainly he's not passing up opportunities uh, to pursue other women. And so the fact that he passes this uh, fellatio teacher to Larry, I think is, uh, you know, 
quite surprising. And we have to give Jeff credit because, uh, you know, he's, re- he's really being a, a good wingman for Larry here. I don't know. I think Jeff's pretty confident he can find what he wants, you know. And yeah, so, <laughs> so he doesn't too, need this one. It's too funny not to pass her off to Larry. Come on. That is just like, you have to see what Larry's going to do with a fellatio teacher. I mean, <laughs> to say he can get laid anywhere to watch Larry. Have ah, so for him, it's entertainment, you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. All of it is for his entertainment. All of it is for his entertainment, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is a fun in, in saying, all right, I want to see how Larry somehow screws up getting laid by a blowjob teacher. Exactly. Told that he's a, a Broadway star. Like, how is this going to go wrong? Like, this is, this is it. This is the closest you're getting to a short thing, Larry. She can't wait to see how things go wrong with Larry. Yeah. So, for some reason, Larry David agrees to go eat Mexican food, even though, seemingly, he doesn't enjoy spicy food and it makes him miserable. So, we already we see where Larry's gone off track. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're sitting down and she's like, I love spicy food. And Larry's like, I love spicy food. <laughs> um, and Christina adds in that spicy food makes a man's cum taste delicious, which Larry says he did not know. But I now guess now he's trying to make his food extra spicy. Um, so, you know, he pours a lot, ton and ton of uh, sauce on the uh, hot sauce onto his food. Uh, turns out Larry doesn't like spicy food uh, because it makes him sweat, it makes him cough, it makes his nose run, it makes him miserable, it makes his mouth on fire. I mean, this is why spicy food is not good. I'm with Larry on that. I don't understand the, the spicy food people because I like to enjoy my food while I'm eating it and not be miserable, but that's just me. Um, also totally, and I guess as Katie was saying, it's totally unnecessary. Like, Larry already has this one in the bag. Like, the woman right. has has established her bona fides. She's, she knows where the, the, the night is headed. And Larry's like, but hold on, let me try and impress when I can only, I can only go downhill from here <laughs> the things he focuses on you know it's just he gets it wrong right and oh. he's, he's trying to use jeff's logic right he's told jeff has told katie that that larry has ocd so he has ocd okay well this fellatio lady has told me she likes spicy. i'm gonna say i like spicy food because that works that worked with katie and now it's gonna work with her and it doesn't <laughs> His logic, I think it makes perfect sense to him. And uh, yeah, why not? Why not? But it's just nobody else thinks that could, that, that could possibly work. But for some reason in Larry's head, I see where his logic goes. I see. Yeah. I, think, I think the comment about the, the calm really got in his head because now, now, he's, now he got in his head, oh, this woman is going to have a certain expectation of what my cum is going to taste like. So I better load up on the spice because no, like, she just told me this is what she wants out of this. Talk on that better than I can. Katie, yeah. is this a conversation you'd be having tonight? <laughs> well, I've had this conversation, this type of conversation with people you'd be very surprised about. So, uh, you know, this is not a conversation I don't have, but hearing the male perspective of it, you know, being nervous about how your stuff tastes. Well, I it's, that's, uh, yeah, you know, I, but like, I, mean, I would say this never even occurred to Larry until she said it and now it's like all in his head and it's like all he could think about is like doing this thing that she just told him you that's know, my that's my read 13 year old boys like what come can taste different that's <laughs> <laughs> like what do I do <laughs> I hope there's not 13 year old boys whose sex education is curb your enthusiasm but maybe yeah. there is that would be unfortunate anyway um obviously Christina's very, very limited <laughs> that would be a bunch of kids with no game yeah <laughs> 
all the 13 year old junior Republicans like, oh, I have to put away my picture of the president because uh, it's a way to lose. That's right. Like yeah. if you want Larry David to make yes. out. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> and which 13 year old uh, boy doesn't. So uh, obviously, Christina is very turned off by this whole display and she uh, she heads out. So Larry's back at home all by himself, of course, just watching TV in bed. And all of a sudden he hears there's like some loud party going on. He goes down the hall and looks like Schwimmer's having a party, people f- shuffling in and out. Um, Larry's like, you know, you should get some sleep. We're opening in two days. You know, you should get some, you know, get some rest. And like, obviously, Schwimmer's like, you know, a from Hollywood and like into the whole party scene at, you know, at this point in his life, presumably. Um, and you know, you know, he's, I'll be fine. Like I, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. Uh, you're an old man. And, and I love as, uh, as some friends of swimmers walk into the party, they, uh, they see uh, David talking to Larry and they say, who are you talking to? And David says, nobody, <laughs> uh, nobody, uh, nobody of importance. The guy who's co-starring right. actually has his name ahead of mine on the marquee, which kind of surprises me. Yeah. But sure is pretty confident that he's yeah. the only one to recognize, you know, yeah. I would assume, you know, David Schwimmer probably in real life probably had his own apartment in the city and didn't have to uh, go to a hotel room when he visited Manhattan. But, you know, <laughs> probably not. Yeah. Yeah. He's a pretty down to earth guy. You know, when you say he doesn't have his entourage on the plane, I don't think he's the yeah. type who travels with entourages. I think that's Larry Land again, you know, for people. But that's why it's fun to be on the show, right? Because you get to play like the douchebag version of yourself. Yeah, you just get to be some something else, you know. It's just, it, and you get to sort of discover it in the middle of scenes. Yeah, that's fun. I think fans really enjoy. Like Av and I talked about, especially with Ben Stiller in the beginning part of the season. He's so much more enjoyable, I think, when he plays sort of the the angry jerk than when he plays sort of the happy go lucky character. It's like more. It's more enjoyable, I think, for us viewing it. And so, you, I, I think it's probably Larry. fun to. Well, I was Larry. saying for no Ben Stiller, Ben Stiller. Yeah. For ben. yeah, 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 yeah. Like to me, like yeah, dodgeball to me is like my favorite Ben Stiller. Like I love that. Like mean, mean Ben Stiller is really funny. Um, more than like like the neurotic meet the parents one, which just still you know it's funny in its own way. But I I think that those are his best characters where he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> I agree. I'm gonna agree. All right, great. Um, all right, so um, so yeah, like Schwimmer's like barely, he won't even like basically Larry let, like look into to even like see who's there. He's like making it very clear Larry's not allowed to enter this party. Um, and he's like, oh, by the way, did you see my watch? It's missing and Larry hasn't seen it. Um, so anyway, it's the next morning and the repairman's there. He's fixing Larry's thermostat. Larry's uh, been complaining, you know, how freezing was all night. Um, and just then, you know, room service comes in. They bring in breakfast. Larry can't believe the bill that it's $53 for eggs and pancakes. He's never been uh, to a hotel before, apparently. <laughs> I know. It's like, where has this rich guy been? And what has he been doing that he doesn't know these things? Yeah. Um, so because Larry's in New York City, of course, he bumps into Richard Kind's. Um, cousin, cousin Andy comes in. And but as we've La- discussed, it's hard to walk on the Upper West Side and not bump into Richard Yeah, King, so. I... I, I like bumped into him like five or six I'm times when kidding. I lived there. I saw him in Zaybar's just Yeah, like he's all over. Yeah, if you're on the Upper West Side, he's just like always around. It's great. Like I saw him once in the Verizon store. Like I was like on one side of the Verizon store and I heard like a voice and I was like, is that Richard Kind? And like I walked and I looked around and they're like, oh yeah, it's Richard Kind. He's like getting like, he's like fixing his cell phone or something. I'm like, okay. Like, you know, I, yeah. you know, I don't bother people, but it was nice. it's, it's yeah, always fun to see him. He's uh yeah, I like him in a lot of stuff. Um, Anyway, um, Larry tells him, oh, I left your ticket at Will Call. And he's like all you know, flummoxed by this. He doesn't know what to do with Will Call. He, you know, he wants to have the ticket in hand. Um, 
I relate to that. That's a very, like a, it's a very specific character that I've dealt with in my life of like that person like who like needs to have the thing in their hand. Like otherwise, it's all they're going to think about. It's good, you know. I, I feel your connection to Larry. I feel it. <laughs> I mean, there met several times. You're like you really are connecting to this character. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have some of the same. I have some of the same stuff. Um, but, anyway, know, yeah. is, I mean, yeah. you guys are both Jewish, right? Are you both from yes. New York? Yes. Well, I'm originally from New York. Uh, Alex grew up in Minnesota and now lives in New York. I mean, but it's, you know, I do this show and I think, yeah, I'm probably going to be recognized by more Jews from New York. <laughs> Correct. I, you, I mean, I went to Singapore and the cellist in the in the uh, orchestra I was singing with had like a bootleg copy of Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's so funny how his angst and his 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 way speaks to so many people all over the world i'm and guessing the cellist from singapore was not jewish nope he was you know chinese of, of chinese descent but it's just like he seems so jewish brooklyn to me yeah. and it's just fascinating that that translates to so many different people in the world yeah, even Seinfeld, which is so like Jewish New York City Upper West Side inside baseball that like you would think so much of it is like just like indecipherable to like somebody who lives in Missouri. And yet it was like the number one show on TV for all these years. So it's like obviously I mean, I guess like, you know, in general it's always like they say about with art that like the more specific you end up making better stuff because of that and like that's just what adds texture to things and like it ends up being fine as long as it's good. Um and Seinfeld's probably the best example of that yeah and goes back to larry sticking to his guns you know it's that yeah. this is what makes me laugh this is who i am and for all art really once you can put who you actually are up on the canvas or on the stage or in your music is when people start feeling it and relating to it because ultimately it's a human experience you know they even have these they'll put alzheimer's patients in front of great works of art and museums and suddenly they have language skills and other things that they don't normally have. There's something about, you know, the, the masters that can, that makes sense to our, to, to what we don't understand. I just said that. Did I sound smart? Yeah, yeah that was great. That was really, that was really <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, so, all right, let's get back in. Let's get, uh, okay, let's try to start, uh, let's pick up the pace a little, maybe. Come on, um, gotta get through this hour. Um, yeah, Katie, are you are you crunched for time? Because we can we should well, we really will pick up a lot if you're if you no, have. No, I'm, I'm, I'm awake now. I had a very long day, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Now I got to do this, but I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Okay, so if we if we go longer, a little bit longer, that's fine. You go, boys. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's right. nice. I'm, I'm totally fine. Okay, so great. Okay, thank you. I just want to be respectful of your time. Thank you. I know. Um, I really am. I, sometimes I do go to bed at nine o'clock. This pandemic has made me a nine o'clock getting up. Yeah. You know, for some reason. Oh wow! Wow. That's how it switched. Yeah. But no. Okay, great. Tonight I'm going to stay right. up late. I'm going to stay up till ten. Oh wow! All I right. So. Done. Um. Okay. So um, the repairman finishes up on the thermostat, and Larry thanks him, and the guy kind of like walks out awkwardly, and, and as he walks out, Larry's like, "Oh, was I supposed to tip that guy too?" And Andy's like, yeah, you are. Like, he's, you know, he's a worker and, you know, he relies on the tips. And Larry doesn't get it. He's like, all he did is he just fixed the thing. It was broken. Why do I have to pay for that? And he's like, well, he's, he's a worker. He does a service. He expects. And, you know, obviously, like, when you're Larry David and you're, like, a billionaire, like, just, like, you know, just get over money. it. 
But like he does like tap into this whole like, you know, the whole etiquette of tipping, which, you know, there's, there's sometimes there's a situation where it's like, I don't understand why am I tipping this guy, not that guy? Like how, you know, there's just like kind of these like made up rules that seem very arbitrary and it could be very unnerving for someone like Larry David, who's just like, I just don't want to be in trouble. Like just tell me who I'm supposed to tip and who I'm not supposed to tip. But I tell you, there is, there is definitely a, a, a divide. You know, I don't tip as much as somebody super famous and rich tips because I'm, I don't have the money, but also they're seen as having the money. So I've had movie stars say, oh yeah, when there's a car service sent to my home, I tip the driver, even though it's a car service that was sent by the studio, they, you know, just to not look like a jerk, they will tip them uh, like 20 or 40 bucks. It's like, oh, that's, it would never occur to me because I'm only making 20 or 40 dollars on the job but you know they are you know they can be very aware of looking like especially if you're very recognizable you want to carry those 20s and peel them off and if you can afford it tip yeah and I, I mean and I guess also in like like a TMZ like social media world like you know, you need to like be very careful that like the people around you like don't have an axe to grind against you for any reason. Yeah, like just like, like treat my people. My husband well. would always say he'd say nobody's ever gone broke tipping cabbies and waiters. Right. You know, like just tip them. Yeah. You know. Yeah, trickle down as George W. Bush would have would have said at the time. You know, it'll oh, trickle right. down to the you know right. the greater good. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the maid comes in and uh, Larry sees the watch on her. Heart. It's like, oh, did you find that? And she's like, yeah. And like, she's like, I know what it is. He grabs it. Uh, and he calls Schwimmer. He's like, hey, I found your watch. I'm going to bring it to the meeting. I'll see you soon. Um, as he's heading down, he sees Tim the bellhop. And he's like, hey, did everything work out from before? And the guy's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And Larry's like, I gave the guy inside 20. He was supposed to give you half. Did that happen? He's like, no. He's like, so he sniffed you? He's like, I don't know. Like, I didn't get money from anybody. That's all I know. Um, and Larry's like, is not buying it. He's like, he like, he doesn't believe him. He starts asking him all these questions. Um, and finally he resorts to his, you know, famous Larry eye move where he like scopes him out and he's, and then, you know, finally decides, all right, I guess you're telling the truth. And he gives him his 10. Um, it would be crazy for this guy to be lying. Like if the, if he gave him his 10 bucks, like he, he'll be like, yeah, thank you. I got it from you. Like, he's not going to try to like scam this guy out of another $10. Well, that's like, why I love when Larry says, are you telling me that he stiffed you on the 10 bucks? He's like, that's not what I'm telling you. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. He's like, he's like, I have no idea what you may or may not have done. Crazy man. That's so funny that uh, he argue about any little two <laughs> You know, he thinks it's somehow just a something that's you know against not you know that it's not fair. He'll just fight it. Katie, one thing yeah. we've been tracking is the Larry stare down, uh, much like the Larry saying "pretty, pretty, pretty good." That's something that I think over the course of the show, Larry becomes aware of how sort of popular it is, and then it becomes almost like a trope. Um, at this point, this is only the sixth time through four seasons that he's done it, and only the second time this season. He did it to Norm in the Five Wood um, at the funeral of uh, Marty Funkhauser's father, and then, um, and then five episodes later, he does it over here to Tim the Doorman. So it's still very judiciously used, um, which I think I wonder like when you're the actor playing Tim there, it's not even, you know, now you go on curb and you're going to get in a confrontation with Larry. You're like, oh, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to get thrown one of these because you know it's coming and you can sort of really enjoy it. But 
the actor playing Tim, and I'm not sure who that is, but I wonder what he thinks as this is happening because he, you know, he might not even be expecting it. All of a sudden, Larry David's, you know, leaning at his face and giving him a weird stare. So funny. I mean, you just you must just start hearing that tuba before yeah. it comes in. You know, uh, yeah, it's hilarious. I, I I don't know. I did not do a stare down with Larry, but that's so funny. I love that you guys know that it's six. <laughs> Time that it's been done, and twice in this episode. Well, the, Alex, the history Alex a, and what's projected in the future. Yeah, Alex is a person who is well known for taking very careful records of things. So, and thank you, Alex. Thank yeah. you. I, is, uh, sure it's it's one of his top skills. That's hilarious. Uh, I'm trying to picture that scene i mean just in my head it's like that's so funny but you just you just go with i'm gonna tell you they just something tickles them they ask you to do it you do it you know <laughs> like can you just if larry stare i don't know i i don't know if they discussed it or not but i would imagine it's happened somewhere the first time and they thought it was hilarious so they won't be shy about asking you to do it yep the first one was the acupuncturist, and I'm, I'm not sure how how strong you are in your curb at trivia and history, but in season two, Larry has a... I uh, know Alex Chester, <laughs> let me tell you that. <laughs> all right, we're going to save that drop. Um, all right, Ab, so let's get back uh, back into the room, or the lobby, I think, right, where Larry notices Sanji. Right? Uh, yes. Or is it and, Tim, uh, Tim tells no, him? No, first, first Tim tells him, by the way, now that I have t- another $10 for you, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to let you know, Sanji also felt like it stiffed him, and he's been a little upset. Um, everyone's talking about this guy, Larry. He was going around <laughs> stiffing everyone. We know this guy created Seinfeld, and he's telling everyone he can't. He doesn't have any money, and he has 20s, which, like, if you just give me 20, it's fine. <laughs> um, plenty of people give me 20. You can give me 20. Um and Larry goes over to, to speak to him. And Larry's like, I don't understand why, you know, everything in this hotel requires a financial exchange. Um, but he finds out he's upset. And Larry says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you tickets to the show to the producers, and then we'll be even. And Sanji says, oh, that's very nice. And this is going to be good karma for you. So Larry heads out. And, you know, he's very excited about his recently uh, received good karma. And he's, he passes on the street. And a guy who turns out to be uh, Stephen Colbert is with his wife. Um, not really Stephen Colbert, but, you know, played by. Um, and he asks him, can you take a picture? And Larry's like, sure. And he says, you know, he starts to turn it vertically. And the guy's like, no, I want it horizontally. And Larry's like, no, but it, it'll be better this way. Uh, and the guy's like, no, do it the way I want. Like, I know what I want. And, like, I'll prop it later or whatever. You know, I'll, I, I, I know how to use my own camera do what i want and larry's like no no it's really better the other way and that this is when it goes off the rails this is his wife's like well he's looking maybe he's right and she you know he starts going off on his wife like that you're always trying to undermine me and you're taking his side and larry's like all right now i'm not you know definitely not involved in this anymore now that this is like a domestic dispute uh, i'm getting out of here um and colbert very fun for colbert to shoot i don't know who the woman was do you guys know yeah um we could look it up quickly you know colbert is you know improv king that had it's just so much fun when you get to be really mad at somebody (laughs) and you just get to start going off on your wife or husband or whoever's with you maddie corman by the way Oh my God, Maddie! I know Maddie very well. She's a sweetheart. That's hilarious. Yeah, they had to have a ball doing that one. Yeah. So, um, Colbert, by the way, sudden, they... completely a psychopath here. 
<laughs> yeah, he should just like do it, like do it the way the guy wants. Like this guy seems to be a guy who knows his camera. Or... Who's crazy here? Who's the crazy? Well, they're, well, they're both crazy, but like Larry should just like if you're doing if you want to do the guy a favor, then like take the picture the way he wants it, the, the picture taken, right? I would think so, but why yeah. is the guy so insistent? Yeah, I mean, this guy should just be like, okay, so this guy will take a bad picture, and then I'll ask and somebody well, else who will be more helpful. Do it but, both ways. But, at, but hold on, but at the point where he realizes, or his wife realizes, oh, you're actually playing, you're the star of the show on Broadway we're seeing tonight. And at right. that point, he's he goes further in. He's like, well, now I'm going to give you this weird voodoo thing, and I'm going it, to. It's like completely insane. Yeah, and he goes, you will fail. Yeah, I'm sure. Amazing. Yeah, Colbert's having the time of his life. Yeah. Oh my god, such a fun scene! Hilarious. I love that it's Larry. Um, Can we go so, back for one second? Why yeah. would Larry rather have given Sanji a ticket to the Sopranos rather than five bucks? And by to the, the producers, not the Sopranos. To the, excuse me, to the producers. Sopranos. Now where are we? I don't know where that came from. Um, and, and then of course he ends up having so many tickets, he's handing them out to every staffer in the hotel. But it's just, it's very curious. I mean, maybe they just gave Larry too many comps, and I guess Larry doesn't have as many friends in New York as he thought he did. It's just very odd. Well, that he'd and there's no such thing as a comp on Broadway, so there you go. So, so then, yeah, so then how do we explain why Larry has so many tickets here? To opening night, no less, and he's handing he them out. He would rather pay for all those tickets and hand them out than give the guys 20 bucks. It, as I said, don't let the truth get in the way of a yeah. good story. Yeah. yeah, certainly not. Um, so we're having like, a, I guess I'm going to do some sort of table read. It seems like they're setting up for and everyone's there. Uh, there's Mel and Katie and David. Everyone's waiting for Larry. We meet uh, Susan Stroman, who's going to be the director of this show. She also directed the 2005 movie adaptation of the producers. Um, and Larry is very, you know, she's the best director I've ever seen or something like that. He's very complimentary of her. Uh, and David, all David cares about, he's like, so Larry, my, my watch, you said you have my watch. And Larry yeah. starts reaching to his pockets. And he's like, oh shit, I don't know what happened to it. I don't have the watch anymore. And they're like, what do you mean you don't have it anymore? He's like, oh, maybe it fell out with maybe in the cab. Like we don't, you know, he doesn't know it's just, but it's gone. Um, and Schwimmer's, Schwimmer's furious. And he's like, all right, you owe me a watch. And Larry's like, I don't owe you a watch. Nothing changed. The watch was lost and you it's gone. And Mel's like, yeah, the watch was lost and continues to be lost. It's it, you don't get anything. Um, Katie, you're also on Larry's side here. You're like, yeah, not you're you're not affected. You your watch was gone. It was rescued momentarily for a minute in your head, but no, it's still gone. Um, Norm is on Schwimmer's side. I assume just because he hates Larry. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Katie's on Larry's side because you're OCD brother and sisters now, right? Yes, yes exactly. We yeah. are sharing yeah. that. In common, I am standing up for my OCD fellow. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Well, by the so, way, the insanely uh, rich David Schwimmer caring about the stupid watch so much is a, is a very Larry thing to do, actually. It is. I, and, and what is he so worried about? Do, do we find out it was a special watch? Or yeah, no, there's no, no personal. It's, it's not a special watch. And the way we know it's not a special watch is because like he's perfectly happy to be reimbursed for the watch. Yeah. Like It's not like, oh, this is like my grandfather's <laughs> yeah. watch from Poland or something. And yeah. it's like, if that was the case, then like $300. John Boy handed up his ass, you know, throughout well, Europe. Whatever. It's probably more than $300. <laughs> if it's well, but, you know. Larry does have a reputation for, you know, severely injuring his Leos before mm. we get to so, you know, Schwimmer's heard quite a bit before he gets to this point. So maybe <laughs> it's enough. like, Larry can't do anything right. Yeah. And Katie, uh, as you pointed out, the uh, extreme accuracy of the fact that the day before a Broadway premiere, you guys are doing a table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like all right. Let's uh, let's get into the script here. <laughs> all right, let's read it. We're opening tomorrow. But again, that's what they do on a sitcom. And Larry's like, okay, this is what I do, and so this is what we're yeah. doing here. <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's doing what he knows. It's hilarious. I mean, I, don't try to figure out the logic of it. I mean, that, that'll only get in the way. Um, yeah, so uh, Susan jumps in. It's getting very tense. She's just like, listen, you know, you guys have to get along because Mio, Max and Leo love each other. And that's what the show is about. It's a journey of two people who not only become successful producers, but also wonderful friends. Uh, the producers is all about the friends we made along the way, of course. Um <laughs> Meanwhile, Larry Katie, is... Katie, uh, was that how you approached the, the show when you were uh, on Broadway? That it was about <laughs> the friends we make along the way? No. <laughs> it's yeah. not, it was not my take on it in my role of Uma. You know, yeah. um, yeah. so meanwhile, uh, Larry's doing his thing. He's playing up the OCD card. He starts stacking bottles on the on the table in different orders. I do that sometimes also. I guess I shouldn't because it's making fun of people with the real thing. But I've tr- I've mimicked this scene also doing like the Larry David stick here. To impress um, women who you think have OCD at the table. No, more just like with my idiot guy friends. Um, <laughs> And Katie's just like beaming. She's just like, oh, this guy, he's, he's like, yeah, this guy, <laughs> this guy. It's a little more subtle, but I am, yeah. you know, straightening my pens and my paper in that. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Um, the rehearsal wraps up and you, uh, Katie and Larry head out together and they're both still on how ridiculous swimmers being. Suddenly a man grabs Katie's purse and starts running off with it. And Larry starts chasing after him. Then the guy turns around and realizes like this old man is chasing me. And he reverses it. And he starts chasing after Larry. And Larry starts running away. Um, also, also a great scene. One of my favorites. But Katie yeah. is completely impressed nevertheless. Yes. Larry, oh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the thought that counts. Yeah. The fact that he went is, was, is, was pretty manly. That's it. Went um, after the, the thief. So uh, Larry wakes up. It's uh, it's opening day, but uh, we get the song opening night. Of course, the uh, the opening number of the musical, and we get this great little montage of Larry going around tipping all the hotel workers with tickets to the show. So now the show is going to be eighty percent people that work in the hotel that Larry's staying in, and some friends in Valley. That's like that's Larry has this many tickets. He's now, but Ab, if you remember, the way that season three ended was the same thing. It was the grand opening of his restaurant, and the entire clientele was everyone who he had ever had in a relationship right. with. Him. Correct. Yeah, specifically in that from that season. Yes, Yes, of course. Um, So it's a a great little montage. Um, Then we see this just like really kind of just like it breaks the fourth wall for a second there. And Larry's having like this breakdown that doesn't remember his lines. He's going to fail. He's he's having, you know, no confidence. And who is there to help him other than Nathan Lane from the producers who, uh, you know, basically gives Larry a talking to. He slaps him around a little bit and tells him, you know, you're going to take that hat. You're going to go and you're going to do it. Um, And, you know, he helps Larry get his grip on things. who do you think so, was, was more excited to get the call? Stephen Colbert, who's told, you're going to come on the show and act like a psychopath and yell at Larry David, or Nathan Lane, who's asked, can you do a quick cameo where you come on screen and just slap me in the face? <laughs> right. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. I bet I bet Colbert. <laughs> yeah. Nathan Lane's probably a nice guy. He probably feels bad slapping Larry. <laughs> yeah, no, I Nathan's hilarious. There's, there is no bit that is, you know, he uh, he will milk every single laugh out of every single moment. And whatever that bit was, whether it developed, whether it was what they asked him to do or developed out of whatever they were saying. Yeah, he is. He is the person you want to be on screen with when there's some funny to do. Um, so, uh, so Larry heads over to Schwimmer's room and he's like, Hey, you know, you want to go head over to, uh, to the show and Schwimmer's still on the watch. 
Um, he's like, I was thinking about it more and I was wondering, would you be willing to reimburse me for the watch? Which I don't understand because it's not exactly the same thing as what he was asking for before. Like, this is not like a, a, like a, a compromise. This is the exact thing you were asking. You should pay me back for the watch. Like, I don't understand this negotiation here by Schwimmer. Well, I guess neither does he, because it doesn't work. And Larry's like, no. Um, Larry, for his part, he's like, well, what's the deal? Did you tell the stewardess on the plane? Like, he still can't get over that. So, like, they're both, uh, you know, have their grievances. Um, So they get to the theater, and Larry gets there, and he sees Katie's there as well, also uh, early. Um, And he's, like, really nervous. uh, But Katie, you reassure Larry that he's going to be great. Uh, you tell him about all your OCD rituals that you've done already, the ones you still have coming up. And Larry says, you know, I think I'm going to go bang my head against the wall 50 times. Uh, my mother used to say that to me when I was growing up. Go bang your head against the wall. And I would take it literally. Um, I feel like we heard we've, this came up once before in an earlier episode, Alex. But I, maybe it was like in, a, like in like the commentary or something. We read something about this story because the story rings a bell. No, no. He says earlier, and I forget the episode, but he says, yeah, my mother told me I was going to mount to nothing and she told me to bang my head against the wall. I forget the context. <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah. probably happened earlier in real life, I assume. Yeah. So. I, mean, I mean, this comes from somewhere. I assume. I don't know. I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope not. Um, anyway, uh, Katie is like very uh, grateful that Larry was so brave yesterday. And he says, you know, Larry, I've been thinking about that 10th anniversary gift. And she invites him in. Now, can we pause and... here for a second? Um, Katie, how does Katie Huffman, the character in the show, in your understanding, how does she know about this? Because we've never seen it explicitly mentioned in front of her. So is it just sort of a running joke on set as they are on set, like while they're preparing? Or, you know, was it something that Jeff told her in confidence when he mentioned the OCD thing? Like, how does Katie know about the anniversary gift? Yeah, I'm trying to remember if there was a moment. Because, you you know, I don't think there was anything that we shot that didn't get in there. I, I think I just assumed that Jeff must, must have mentioned something because Jeff really wants this to happen. Mm-hmm. So during this is that much OCD more important to Jeff than it is to Larry. It's very funny. Right. Jeff is much more invested in making this happen than Larry is. Well, as Katie said, for Jeff, it's pure comedy. Episode yeah. over and over and over again. So you would know better than I would at this point. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, so they, uh, you guys, like you guys. happened at the airport that I, that I found out. If that's what it feels right. like. Got it. That makes sense. Um, anyway, so uh, you guys start kissing and looks like things are heading in a positive direction for Larry right now. Uh, all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, he spots a picture of George W. Bush um, in in the dressing room. Um, and she, he's like, what the hell is that? You have a picture of George? I mean, even if you're, it's one thing to be a Republican. It's, it's still weird to carry around the picture of the yeah. president with you, like wherever you go. <laughs> like even like, I, I don't think, do people do that? I, I did try to get them to sign it. Oh, you know, uh, okay. I wanted them to put like a big W on. That would make a, that would make more sense, right? Yeah. If you want to sign, I mean, it would still be an would... insane thing to do. Like I think we because we live in this era of this like cult like personality for thirty five percent of the country. Like we like this is not a thing that anyone would do. One thing to have it in your home, but to like travel with you and have it with you at all times, and it's really it's not it's not. Oh my God, you're a Republican. It's you have this weird infatuation. She's in her dressing room, so we have all kinds of different photographs in our dressing rooms. And if if George has been to see the show. You know, it, I, oh, so it's, it, yeah. So if it's a personal picture, then I guess that's a little different. It's a person. I, I always thought it was a personal uh, picture. Oh, that makes it, sense. Like so a, it's, it's really uh, that George Bush is a fan of Katie Huffman. Then I'm a Bush booster. Yeah, is basically what I right. figured. You know, yeah. that I'm a celebrity who who is you know on on the Bush team. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure and Bush I guess was the truth on Broadway in 2000. Yeah. I guess the truth is that, you know, it's this is not like traveling. Like if you're if you're wor- if you're working on Broadway, so for for Katie, show, that's true. Like, yeah. This is like your office. Yeah. Although. Yeah. But for you in, in this version, you live in L.A., it seems like are just traveling in yeah. the day before the show that's to do like. Funny is that like they're living in, you know, they, nothing makes sense. For the <laughs> yeah. It's, it's completely crazy. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And for some <laughs> reason, this didn't occur to me the entire season, the entire season until I'm like, wait a second. Why are they just arriving now exactly and i have already done the broadway show and i go to los angeles to rehearse with those guys and then i go back you know don't try to make sense of it yeah (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't make any sense but once you're in a broadway show even larry and schwimmer you get a dressing room and you sit there for at least months yeah, yeah. Sure. But, right. but in this show, Larry's just in New York for like a couple of weeks. <laughs> exactly. Like he just shows up. I'm going to do the show and then I'm going to go. It's like, yeah. OK, yeah, that, that's so why like, they're living they, in a hotel. They don't need to bother getting apartments. It's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. There's a lot of things. So I, I'd say don't try to figure that one out. Yeah. We'll talk yeah about in the world of the in the world of this in the show, it should be very obvious to everyone that Mel Brooks is working with what he's doing. He's like, you're bringing in this guy who's does who's the day before the show. He doesn't even know the lines yet. Like, what are you doing? Of course, you're. Yeah. Well, that's what Norm says. You've seen the show. Yeah. But I tell you, while we were shooting outside the theater, the purse snatching and all that, people tried to buy tickets to the show starring Larry David and David David. Oh, wow. Yeah, I would see that. That was was our actual theater in New York, and they thought that that was happening. Oh, so that's the real producer's theater. They just changed. They just put Larry and David's names up there. Larry and Schwimmer's pictures up. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, They should have done as Mel said. They could have saved money. Just Larry David Schwimmer, right? Save one word on the marquee. But they didn't actually do that, unfortunately. Um, Anyway, so we... uh, we had oh, Mel had made a joke oh, when David Schwimmer replaces Ben Stiller that on the marquee they'll just say Larry David Schwimmer, so they'll save one word. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Katie. Can I ask you? Uh, is sort of like the OCD thing? Did you have any insight into why what they to- decided for your character was that you're a George Bush fan? Like that was going to be the the thing that's going to be the uh, you know the cock block, as it were, or that's just you were told. Hilarious. I think it's just because it's hilarious. Yeah. You know, like what would cough block Larry? Yeah. I, you know what? I would love to see like the list that the writers came up with, uh, like the 20 things that they picked from, because I'm sure they were all very funny in different ways. Well, in 2004, that would be it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was just it. Yeah. Just it's funny. funny. In 2020, you know, relative to, uh, you know, later presidents or president, you know, I think George Bush is, uh, has had a little bit of a rehabilitation of his image, so he doesn't seem as uh, odious hey man, as he might have seemed. My hero just the other day with his little speech congratulating Joe yeah, Biden. Well, acknowledging reality is the thing we celebrate now. So Yeah, I was like, <laughs> like well, oh, this guy says there's a coronavirus. I'm going to try to stop it. Like, what an amazing president. It's like, he's going to be the greatest. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, the bar is pretty low. Yeah, Um, so so Katie almost gives Larry his birthday, his uh, anniversary present. Yeah, uh, it doesn't work out. Uh, Larry's. I was with Larry bugged out. Yeah, Larry couldn't go through with it. So uh, Jeff can't believe it. They're in Larry's dressing room now. Jeff is freaking out. He says, "Who cares? I would fuck her with a bush mask on." Um, all of a sudden, uh, Larry gets a call from Andy. He's tickets. Would you fuck a woman with a bush mask on? It's not, you know, a particular <laughs> request that I would make. Um, anyway, Andy's having problems with the ticket. So Larry's like, oh, my God, what am I supposed to do? Jeff's like, I'll take care of it. He's like, no, Larry's like, Larry decides he's going to go down to, like, the, the box office <laughs> in costume right 10 minutes before the show. 
<laughs> and he like goes down and like he sees Andy. And he's like, all right, I'll take care of it. And like some guy starts yelling at him for cutting the line. He's like, it's okay. I'm in the show. And they're like, no, fuck you. You have to wait a line like everybody else. <laughs> um, and of course, then, uh, yeah. it's completed. Saturday. Like I've been to like comedy shows where it's a comedian who's not like nearly the celebrity that Larry David is, but, and it's not a Broadway show, but it's a comedian who, you know, is going to be on stage in 20 minutes in the lobby socializing with a friend or something. And there's this moment of, well, this is weird. Cause I see you here, but you're about to be up there. And I guess again, Larry's like, well, I might do this, you know, in 1977 in the comedy cellar. So I'll just do it on Broadway. <laughs> Complete insanity. It does, not, it does not make sense. Yeah. <laughs> It does not. But I think that Smash took a couple of pages from the Larry David version of Broadway when they made that, too. Did you, go, yeah. did you always watch Smash? No, I did not. Oh, I think you should do that one next. Okay. All right. We'll put you it on the list. Um, so, so, yeah. So, oh, so also, uh, so you see Sanji is there and Larry, uh, he asked him for the ticket. Um, oh, sorry. Thanks, Larry, for the ticket. Um, and also, Larry sees the guys wearing the watch. He's like, "Oh my god, what the hell? Did you find that watch?" And he's like, "Yeah, I found it in the hotel." He's like, "Oh, well, that's David Schwimmer's watch. You have to give it back to him." And Sanji says, "No, finders keepers," uh, which is not correct. That's not how possession of things works. Um, when you're an employee there, and you could get in trouble if, like, a customer said, "Oh, by the way, this employee found this watch that belongs to another right." And he, uh, and he gets to the hotel. Yeah. Um, not reality. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. It's just fun. Um, they have a bit, of a bit of a struggle. They're like fighting over the watch until Sanji finally gives in. Uh, but of course, Cheryl has walked in at this very moment and just says, says to Larry, why are you doing in the lobby 20 minutes with the show uh, fighting with a Sikh? Uh, which is a very good question from Cheryl's perspective. Why is this happening? Um, she wants to know how the anniversary gift is going. Uh, he says, alas, it has not yet happened, but I still have an hour after the show. Um, and just about this, then of course Colbert comes again, and he hexes Larry again with his fingers. <laughs> so now Larry is totally psyched out before the show, um, and the show is about to start. So he heads uh, backstage, and Schwimmer's there waiting for him. And Larry gives him the watch. He says, "I found it." They make amends, um, and everything is great. Except Larry can't help himself. He asks one more time about the stewardess, and Schwimmer still won't tell him. Um, ah, do you know what this reminds me of from Seinfeld is when they're filming in the end of season four of Seinfeld the uh, first episode of Jerry and George uh -huh. makes up with the character with the actor who's playing Kramer remember who he had thought had stolen the um, what, what was it the, or the orange or the snack or something when he came for his original <laughs> the, yeah the nuts or something yeah something. And, and, and they make up right before they're about to start filming and George says just between us Did you steal it? <laughs> so again it's, yeah. it's, it's LD being LD yeah. Um, so the crowd is settling in and Mel uh, is wishing them well, one last good luck backstage and the show begins opening night, opening nights. Uh, um, and the, Larry's first song starts and he's doing great. Uh, we see a few minutes of the show. You know, if you've never seen the producers, they give you like a nice little slice of just kind of like what it looks like and kind of just like the beat of the songs. It's, it's really fun. Um, I saw it. I, I went to see it a little bit after this happened, uh, after this aired. I was I made it a point to go see the producers uh, within the next couple of years. Um, and it's great. It's a really great show. It's really fun. Katie, um, can I ask you, um, other than obviously Larry David and David Schwimmer, everyone else we see in these scenes from the producers, are these the actual performers in the show? Yes. That, it's funny because I'm. It's now going through my brain right now because many some of the interiors we shot in Los Angeles at the Pantages because they were doing the show there, and some of them we did at the St. James in New York. 
But when Larry and Schwimmer are in the show, it is the actual Broadway cast of the moment. Yeah. So, and I guess in this case, are is, is the entire audience are those all extras, or were those people who came all to extras. see? Yeah, oh, okay. extras. Yeah, they, you can't you can't do that in the middle yeah. of a Broadway yeah. show. No. Yeah, no, it'd be no. great. Like, ladies and gentlemen, before we see the producers, we're going to see a few exactly. minutes of the pretend producers. It takes a whole day. Yeah. You know, it takes right. a whole day. But so it was everybody's. They, I think we shot. We must have shot on a Monday and everybody's day off. But yeah, when you're on Broadway, you get excited to shoot a, a TV show on your day off. So it was a, it was a ball. Yeah, and Larry is, is, is offset for a guy who was, you know, doing table reads or, or practicing the lines with his wife two days ago. Didn't know he does a phenomenal job from what we see. Uh, yeah. Well, he yeah, he has like a few lines in that song. Just dances around a little. Yeah. Um, so we get to what I would say is the, uh, I guess, like the mission statement scene of the producers, like the critical scene that really explains the basic plot. Where uh, Leo, who's come, who's been brought in to be uh, Max's accountant. Uh, just through looking at the books and seeing, you know, the, the large number of uh, shows that Max has made that have failed uh, has this epiphany that because of the way accounting works, that a show that would be a flop in some ways can make even more money than a show that was a hit because nobody would be ever be coming to you asking for money. And in theory, you could raise way more money than you spend and then you just keep the money and no one knows any better. And if that if that show would uh, would end up being a big hit, then you'd be screwed because you would never ba- make back enough money to pay off all the investors and you'd go to jail. For yeah, by the way, Donald Trump uh, designed a, a presidential campaign based on the same philosophy, <laughs> but, uh, right. you know, unfortunately became a hit for. Uh, yeah. By a very bare um, majority four years ago. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, you know, and if you, and if you don't know the show, you know, they basically, they, uh, it goes on, they choose this show called Springtime for Hitler. Uh, it's very pro-Hitler musical, which Lord they, you know, they think is, you know, obviously guaranteed that it will be a complete flop. No one would ever uh, have an appetite for this. They get, you know, they get all these, like, you know, people to, to be in it and they're sure it's going to be a disaster. And of course, for some reason, it takes off and it's the number one sh- uh, show on Broadway and uh, it, it doesn't work out so well for, uh, for Maxim. Yeah. Theater crowd, surprisingly pro Hitler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and right when Larry's in the middle of this turning point scene, he just gets completely stuck and he can't remember his line. Um, I will say, I think Schwimmer does like a particularly bad job of like not helping Larry like f- like feed him the line. Like he keeps just like asking the question and just saying like, well, like he should like start saying it and then hopefully Larry will pick it up. Like he's like, I don't know if, I mean, obviously it's for the show, but meaning it's like, if he was actually doing this, he'd be like, what the hell are you like totally hung me out to dry? Schwimmer does not like Larry. Yeah, right. So it's just like a part of him that's like, all right, let's see, let's see how, let's see what happens here. Yeah. None of us at this point want to help Larry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This this is where we, this is where we need to sort of stop and analyze, uh, get into the scene for a second. The implication or what happens is that because Larry forgets this line, People in the audience immediately, within seconds, are like, all right, that's enough for me. I'm on the way out. Um, we even see Jerry Seinfeld, who, you know, uh, he's like, you know, what? I'm going to leave. I would think that, like, watching Larry blow it in this way would be an even more noteworthy event, possibly more entertaining than, I mean, you can see the producers anytime uh, with, with, with Nathan Lane, with whoever you want, Richard Kind later. But, you know, to see Larry David completely fuck it up, it seems like that would be quite a noteworthy thing. Not, oh, he forgot a line for one second. I have to leave. You are forgetting what this whole, the entire episode, you know, this particularly this last bit is based on the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Movie. So, and from there on, right. It's, it's the this is like, this is oh, yeah, yeah shot, exactly shot yeah. The 
Yeah, yeah but that's saying, exactly but the, what happens. Yeah, no, I've seen it. But I mean, in the context so if, of you know, if they don't get up and start going, you don't get them all coming back. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, yeah. you just don't get that moment. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's also it's like, oh, they they got to their car and they heard on the radio, oh, the guy's doing good now, so I'm gonna go back. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, yeah it, this happens sometimes in sports. You leave, if the team makes a comeback, you hear it and you come back. And as Ob says, obviously there's play by play of the show. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you yeah, gotta get, get Mel and Ann out of there. Yeah, word, word had already spread. They're like, oh, come back, come back. He's good now. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he's just totally stuck and he starts doing improv up there and he starts uh, complimenting Schwimmer on his head. Uh, he starts complimenting his own cheeks. Uh, people start walking out, including Seinfeld. Even Mel is like, oh, God. Uh, suddenly, uh, Andy and the Sheik get into an argument in the crowd and Larry starts uh, seizing down an opportunity to uh, do some bits about Andy and he starts riffing on him. He causes him the root cause of anti-Semitism. Yeah. Uh, he talks about the size of his jaw um, and now the crowd is a little bit interested they start returning to their seats and you know within a couple minutes he has them eating out of his hands he's just like they're like dying at everything he says um he gets his confidence back he remembers his line the best stand-up performance of larry david's life yeah and he he basically he talks himself out of it and the show goes on meanwhile uh mel has already walked out and him and his wife are backstage and they're laughing hysterically at what a disaster larry is and it's at this point that mel explains his evil plot that he's they're thrilled because larry's flopping and they'll finally be free from the albatross of the producers and mel explains that as soon as i laid my eyes on him i knew he was a disaster like a storm that will destroy everything in his path and they toast to the death of the producers i have to say these scenes with uh mel and, and ann bancroft is of course you know real life wife and and this drunk guy who's played by bill bell i'm not sure who that is totally delightful scenes um you know very impressive to me that ann bancroft agrees to to go on and do this uh, i mean obviously her and mel are having a grand old time themselves I really, really love these scenes. They're just, you know, in the bar, getting drunk with some, you know, celebrating with some random drunk guy. Do we, do we know who that guy is or he's just a random drunk guy, basically? Bill oh. Buell? But yeah, that's Bill the Buell? actor's name. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I think I do know him. Hold on. You know, his credit is actually drunk, so, which is a great credit. Yeah, <laughs> he was on Boardwalk Empire, it says. Yeah. Oh, he works a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he's funny. Yeah, I don't know him. But I mean, that's like, you know, especially if you're, you know, a, a relatively unknown actor, what an, what, a, what an opportunity of a lifetime, like, you know, get drunk and sing with, uh, Mel, with Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft. That's pretty cool. Yeah, fun. And Annie and, and Mel were just such a great team. You know, they were just, they really loved each other and were just always thick as thieves and ha- having a ball. So, you know, to get her to work with him, I don't think you had to beg. Yeah. Meanwhile, the show is going on and Katie enters the show part of the show. And meanwhile, uh, we cut back to Mel and his wife and they're, continue, they're singing and dancing with the drunk stranger. And they see people shuffling out for intermission. They say, oh, we got to go hide because they're going to be so angry and miserable and they're going to take it out on us. Um, but they're shocked when it turns out the crowd comes in jubilant. Everyone's you know, screaming and excited and laughing. And every someone yells out, Larry David, or gonna, the producers is going to run for another five years. And Mel's like, oh, my God, we need to think. But his wife is completely despondent and, of course, echoes the classic scene from the movie and starts shaking and saying, no way out, no way out. <laughs> and everyone heads back in to watch the closing number and the crowd reacts with an uproarious standing ovation. Larry David, Broadway star. And as the cast comes out for their final curtain hall, Larry spots Cheryl and looks over and mouths the words and symbols with his hand one hour. He still has one hour until his anniversary gift expires. And with that, 
Uh, Larry David's opening night in the producers ends. This is season four, episode 10 ends. Uh, that's the end of our episode. Well, maybe Larry kept that number of the fellatio teacher. Ah. Feeling more confident now. Yeah, she could be. Yeah, she could be. If he got her a ticket to the show, maybe he gets another chance with her. Exactly. Maybe she's there. Yeah. So very similar ending to season four as season three, where what looks like is going to be a disaster. The opening night of his restaurant becomes a uh, shocking success. And then we never hear about it again. The next season of Curb, it has disappeared from the ether, not even referenced as a thing he did in the past. And once again here, Larry David, an astounding success on opening night. And apparently it's a it's a one time performance because season five will start and no reference to him ever being on Broadway. He's back in L.A. and life is just exactly how it was before season four ever commenced. Yeah, and he, we, he just goes on. Yeah. And we have the cliffhanger. Whatever happened in that last hour? Yeah. Did he cash in or not? We'll never know. I think we know. <laughs> I think we've been given enough evidence of what the uh, eventual answer. So then, who who is it? Is, is it Katie? Has he has he won back? Uh, you, no. You? <laughs> he finds someone. It's going to happen, and he some, somehow it doesn't happen. That's mm. what, that, that's my assumption. Mm. Oh, so you're saying it doesn't I happen? I he's confident. I think he's confident at the end of his. Yeah, that could be. That could be. That could be. He just has to turn off his brain for like 20 minutes. That's it. 20 minutes, please. Make, make right, it fair enough. Well, from the time they get, you know, to, they leave the theater to get to where they are, you know. I'm well, that's that's what his dressing room is for. New York, you don't know New York theaters very well. Yeah, I don't. I agree. <laughs> I've lived in New York, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not great. Um, but yeah. Hilarious. I thought that whole season was amazing. You know, yeah. I was very, very uh, privileged to be to be a part of it. I just loved it so much. But I got to say, my favorite episode of that whole season was when he picks up the hooker to use the HOV lane. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, that that's a very fun one. So funny. Yeah. And the whole premise. And then they find out that, remember that guy? They, they yeah. Whole, oh, Mike, you must have talked about that during yeah. that. Yeah, there's a, there's a really good... Uh, there's a really good Netflix documentary about it. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh-uh. Go on, uh, go on Netflix. It's called Long Shot. It's like 45 minutes. It just it tells the whole story. It does a whole back. So, you know, it shows the episode of Curb a little bit. It's, it's really, really great. And it's, and it's just like an amazing story. The guy was like going to get locked up for murder. Yeah. And he was, an at, he was, at, he was at a ball game. And he was and telling hilarious. the whole time. Yeah. And Larry saved his life. I, I think what's so impressive about this season person. of Curb is, first of all, it's a completely like revolutionary idea that we've never seen on TV and it's so meta and how all along the whole season, it's, it's just following the narrative of the producers. And even though it's telling you that it's screaming it in your face, it's like, this is the producers. There's, you know, there's Mel Brooks. And yet we still don't realize it until we see this final episode. And then it's like, Oh, I need to go back and rewatch the whole season. This was happening all along, but it's not only that it's mirroring that, but it's also mirroring season four of Seinfeld which did, which also did the meta thing of Jerry Seinfeld and George and everyone else playing a show called Jerry. And so right. it's, it's, it's the way that he sort of does both of those. It's really brilliant again, because he does it right in front of our faces. And yet we don't, it's almost like the sixth sense and sort of a horror movie kind of idea where it's like, once you realize it, you're like, Oh my goodness, that's so brilliant. And how did I not notice it the whole time? Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. I think this was like, this is like one of the best twists ever done on TV for like, for my money. Like, it's just, it's brilliant. And the best ones are the ones where you had no idea, like, and, but, and then when you go back, like you see all the clues and like, you're like, I should have gotten it. It was staring me in the face and, and you still don't. And the sixth sense is a very good example of that. Uh, but like, I, this is like almost up there. Like it's, it's just so well executed. It's amazing. I really think it was a brilliant season and yeah, all those clues. 
So I think we uh, would rate the whole season as a whole very, very highly. But Av, let's try and get granular. Just this one episode in a vacuum. Uh, how would you rate this episode relative to other Curb episodes? Yeah, um, you know this this is uh, this is top of the line for me. Um, this is one of my favorite episodes of Curb. Uh, but you know, I again, we just went into just the, how the whole season works. But it's this episode where it all crystallizes, and the fact that you could have like basically have not told the audience this for nine episodes, and then pull it off in this episode to kind of like seal the deal is so good. Um, I've said multiple times in this episode, like that something, it was like one of my favorite bits from all of Curb, like the, the OCD thing, the hotel thing, the, just Colbert is amazing. Great guest stars. It's just like, this is just, this is an all time great episode of Curb as far as I'm concerned. And I give it a pretty, 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 pretty good full five pretties out of five. It's, it's an all timer. Katie, can I ask you, do you know at the time when you guys were filming, did you have any idea if there was an intent at the time for there to be more seasons of Curb or not? Or was it just never discussed either way? I have no idea. I mean, didn't there end up being like seven or something? You mean after this one was done? No, what what I'm saying, because so after the season, like this episode ends in a way that could have been a series finale, I think. And and Larry takes a little bit of time off. Season five airs a year and a half later. But this season, this episode really does seem to me almost more like a series. And frankly, every season of Curb, he kind of does that by the by the season finale. But it really seems almost like a series finale. Just the the way it's done. It's like it's so brilliant. And it, it, it seemed to me and I don't remember I mean, I watched it at the time live, but I don't remember what I was reading or hearing at the time, like whether or not we knew if there'd be another season of Curb. Now we know that each season of Curb ends and it's and Larry might have another season. He might not. It might be a year later, five years later. But I just I don't remember at the time whether we thought there was more Curb or not. Ab, do you remember? I don't think that he thought it was the end. That point. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. that's, not the, that's not the impression I got. I But yeah, he just made them when he wanted to make them. Yeah, I mean, it also could have been very different from Larry's perspective and from the public. Like, he he could know whether there's going to be another season of Curb. Exactly. It doesn't mean doesn't mean yeah. that I know that. Like, yeah. like, you know, he he might say, "Oh, yeah, I'm definitely in his head," and they're not going to tell Av and Alex that until HBO announces it. So, yeah, yeah poor Av and Alex aren't going to get that information. Yeah, we're we're not going to be the you know, we, yeah we don't get inside information. Yeah. Um, so, you kids, you youngsters, <laughs> now, so, you you had not seen the original film when you saw this episode originally. I had not. Um, I was like vaguely aware that it was a thing that existed. I think a friend of mine maybe one had seen it on Broadway. So I'd heard of it and heard that it was very funny. Fascinating to me because it's so like for we who know the movie, it was like so obviously, you know, that last this last amazing episode was, uh, you know, the movie. You know, it was a complete spoof of the movie and all that. But you guys loved it not knowing that. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess like it, it was just like an amazing twist. And like once it all crystallized, it like just like made me super interested in the producers. And I was like, okay, now I need to go see this show because I love that all so much. And like the show is probably great too. And turned out to be right. I did really love the show. Um, yeah, it just, it's, I think that's what makes this such a great episode that I think it works on both of those levels. It's like inherently good and that it's extra good once you like fully under- appreciate all the meta stuff. And I think like the first time you happen, it's kind of like this like brain explosion and then you start piecing it together and saying like, oh, there's this other awesome thing out there that now I want to see. Um, and obviously if you're already familiar with it, like as it's unfolding, you realize how genius this is. And, you know, but you like don't have that same, I guess, just like new like imagination for it as well. You watch those two kids who want who listen to music and just have their reactions. They they got fame. No, I don't know that one. Um, 
Well, I guess that's, that's probably sounds like a TikTok thing, but we're even we're old for that. Even we're we're you know we're more we're trending towards where you are than where these kids are. I will say, but I'm like Av. Also, I saw it in the sequence of I saw the season of Curb with really I had heard of the producers and I because I was sort of I was aware of Mel Brooks, but at this point I'd only seen you know I'd seen a number of his, his movies, but I I don't think I had seen the producers yet for sure not, and and I was aware of it a Broadway show. But I hadn't seen the Broadway show either. And so for me, I, I picked up a, after I saw the finale of the, of the season. Oh, that's what they're doing the whole season. And then after that, I went back and went in to, to learn all the stuff about the producers and to watch the, the Gene Wilder movie, et cetera, et cetera. I will say what I had seen Seinfeld, though, obviously, before I saw this. And so that's why I think the first time I saw this show in 2004, while I realized, oh, there's a whole producers thing here that I don't yet understand. I did understand that it was a similar parallel to Seinfeld, which is why I mentioned that one also. Um, That's hilarious. This was the hardest episode of the series yet so far for me to rate, you know, in our in our one to five pretties ranking, because I don't know how to separate this episode in a vacuum from the whole season. And the whole season is undoubtedly, you know, pretty, 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 you know, our full five pretties, just completely brilliant idea. And I don't know how to separate this episode from that. And so uh, I'm going to say I'm going to put this episode only at four and a half. I'm not going to give it the full five. And the reason is because I think you really need to have seen all season to really appreciate the brilliance here. Whereas the Survivor episode last week or the Carpool Lane episode a couple weeks before, you could show that half hour to somebody who doesn't understand anything else about the season. And, you know, Larry in the Carpool Lane or or to a Holocaust survivor getting into an argument with Colby from the CBS show. I think those things in a vacuum even would be hilarious. So I'm going to give it four and a half. It's still, you know, one of the three or four funniest episodes that we've had of, of the series so far. And obviously the season as a whole gets the full five pretties. Am um, I allowed to rate? Yeah. Of give course. us a rating, we, Katie, we, please. Yeah. We love it. Because hearing your logic infuriates me. <laughs> I think that because you have to watch the whole season and this final hour brings it all together that it is a such a satisfying end to the season and wrap up of everything that you've been accumulating whether or not you realize what you're watching or not that final episode you know, brings it all together and is a pretty, 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 pretty great. Uh, I, I, you know what? I think maybe you're convincing me. Maybe I have to bump up my score. Let's go for the, let's go for the full, full squad, full squad. Yeah. The five, five, fives <laughs> all the way across the board. It. Yeah. And once you understand what's going on, you know, with the, you know, the, yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. Moment. Nothing like this has ever been done before. Well, well, that's, that's, why, that's, why asked, so many directions. that's why I asked if at the time any of us thought it was a series finale, because if it was the series finale, I think it'd be in the conversation for the greatest series finales in television history. That that's how you end the show. Um, but you know, even as a season finale, I guess it does the same thing. <laughs> Katie, who, who's the come with guy? Who's the or, or come with gal in this episode, in your opinion? What does that mean, the come with? It's it's a, it's a loose definition, yeah, but it's, it's, it's either, how you will. Yeah. it's usually some combination of like the star of the episode. It's, and we want we usually want to be someone other than Larry. So it's like the, the well, MVP I'll, of the episode. I'll start with mine, and then maybe you go to Av, and then Katie, you'll you'll back. Fair enough. So no, for I me, know who mine is. My, oh. my- I come with is definitely Anne Bancroft. She like adds everything for me. Oh, okay. All right. So to me, I would say Jeff Axe is a real wingman in this episode, as I said. But to me, obviously, the wing the wing woman has to be Katie Huffman. Of She's course. willing to be Larry David's <laughs> anniversary present. She gets farther than anyone else ever does. Like that's Larry's dream the whole season. And Katie Huffman says, "Here I am." And so, yeah, I mean, I 
changed my vote to Katie Huffman. Oh, yeah. good. I've convinced you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're full squad again because I, too, chose uh, Katie Huffman for the Come With Gal, not only because she was willing to sleep with Larry, not only because she was willing to defend him uh, against David Schwimmer, but also because she was willing to come on our podcast. Also true. Yes. And <laughs> that's the ultimate Come With Gal is someone says, hey. Hey, you want to come with me onto my podcast? And she says, sure, that sounds great, strangers from Twitter. And we had a blast. So we, uh, for that, we truly, truly thank you. Now I feel bad off because I don't think Susie got it uh, at the end of season three. So. <laughs> yeah, well, she also played a much more minor role. I don't, think she, yeah. I don't even know if she had a speaking line in, uh, yeah. in the episode she was on. But she was very fun as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, are adorable. Thank you for thinking of me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this was a blast. Okay, so then, and, and then the other the other award that we give is who is the worst person uh, in this episode? To me, the worst person is Stephen Colbert's John, the insane tourist. For no reason, he goes off on the star of the show he's going to see, tries to put a hex on him. I'm not really sure why Stephen Colbert is so evil here, but to me, he's the worst person. That's so funny. Um, um, let me think yeah, who I think is sure. Different. Yeah, so my worst person was easy. Uh, the worst person of the of the episode and obviously of the whole season arguably possibly of the whole series is mel brooks uh this is extremely evil this whole the whole this whole thing is horrible he's manipulating people's lives like people everyone is working on this play that he is intentionally sabotaging all of his friends all of his co-workers because just like figure a different way to get out of this like you could sell the rights to the producers like i don't know like yeah this is crazy this is horrible. This is extremely mean and cruel. Uh, he's, I think he might be the worst person in the series so far. Wow. You know, because everybody, yeah. everybody else, it's like, yeah, his crazy neighbor, Dean, like he acts like a complete asshole to Larry. Andy he's not doing this like months long scam of all the people in his life. Yeah, if you're real life Katie Huffman, he's trying to like ruin your career, basically. Yeah, this could be this could like take away my job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, If you like you, you may have left the job to come do this, and now it's going to get canceled after the first night. And you know, it's not necessarily the case that everyone involved with this production is going to go be able to get another job the next day. He's like destroying homes. This is horrible behavior by Mel Brooks. I just this needs to be this needs to be talked about more. I think. I got to go much more subtle than that. Fair, fair. Uh, yeah, I was thinking more big picture. I, I think it's Schwimmer. I think he's the evil in this episode. He, uh, he's very covert. You know, he's often whispering. He's demanding money for a watch that, you know, he could buy a thousand of. Of course. Pass yeah. out if he wanted to. There's something subversive, something, something a little bit dark about that character he's playing. He is not hoping for Larry to be a success. Yeah. I'm going to go Schwimmer because, you yeah. know, we all fall in love with him as whatever his name was on Friends. What was his name? Ross. 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 You know, we all think Ross is this. But then you find just that sneaky dark side a little bit in this in this particular episode. So I'm going to go Schwimmer. And in support, yeah. Katie, of, of your position here, I think uh, from your perspective – Schwimmer by, you know, leaving hair Larry out to dry, not helping him in the scene where Larry temporarily forgets his line is also doing the same thing as Mel Brooks. He's putting all these people's, you know, jobs in jeopardy by ch- trying to sink the show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just petty. Yeah. So, I mean, I think part of like Mel's calculation here is that like you pick like you pick a person like Larry David. It's not only that he's going to screw up. It's that everybody around him is going to want to see him fail <laughs> because like he will have driven them crazy through this whole process. And like it's just going to create like a destruction 
active environment for the show. I think that's like what Mel is really betting on here. So like Schwimmer will be actively rooting against the play in order to screw over Larry because that's how much he hates Larry. Yes. And I, yeah, I mean, you kids are hilarious that you're going this deep into this. Yeah. That's Thank so you. Um, and of course, we, we all assume Schwimmer told on him to the flight attendant, right? Like oh, there's no course. other explanation yeah, yeah. for what happened. No. He's total, no, you know what's going on? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not a good person. Yeah, <laughs> if it wasn't him, he would have told. Not Larry. a good person. He would have said, "Larry, what the fuck are you talking about? Why that was Yeah, not it's yeah, confidential. Be upfront. Like, tell me what's going on. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> All right. Come, well, don't come to my party. Pay me for my watch. Yeah. I'm not going to help you on stage. No. Yeah, at least Ben Stiller invited everyone to his party. That's true. True. Yeah. Ben Stiller has a party. Everyone's invited. David Schwimmer has a party. I don't know if Katie was invited, but Larry certainly wasn't. So yeah, I don't. I didn't see me at that party. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how many people you can really fit in a hotel room, but um, anyway. So yeah, so we t- we always like to cover. <laughs> <laughs> we always like to touch on the celebrity cameos in the episode. Here we have Nathan Lane and Bancroft, Jerry Seinfeld. Those are the biggest names, and you know Jerry Seinfeld might be in the conversation with with Shaq. Or, or Mel Brooks or Martin Scorsese for, you know, the, the highest profile celebrity to be on the show total so far. Uh, you know, obviously Seinfeld is a, as, as big a name as there was. even. Yeah, I think it's still yeah. Shaq number one and then Seinfeld number two is what Internationally, I probably. Yeah. Really? I think it's Seinfeld. You think Seinfeld won? Yeah, I mean, it's very close. Well, They're, for us it like, is. But yeah, but if you, if you go to like, you know, the middle of China, you know, they... Many people know Jerry Seinfeld, but everybody knows Shaq. No, but who, let's go with just America. Let's just let's limit it to America. It's very close. They're they're the clear top two that we've seen on the show so far. And, yeah, all people, all people is, who watch Curb, it's 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 definitely Jerry actually. Because yeah. there's and people Schwimmer, who watch Curb I, who don't care about basketball. Nobody watches Curb has never heard of Seinfeld. Right? Yes, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I I would say Schwimmer is number three of what we've seen so far on the show. Hmm. Even ahead of Mel Brooks, Martin Scorsese, Ted Danson, Ben Stiller. I think so. Yeah. In 2004. I mean, he, this is like yeah. friends, like just finished. It was literally, yes. The biggest show. I- I- yes. In the, in America at the time. So yeah. It's pretty so incredible. It's like, those are, I think those are a clear three Shaq, Seinfeld yeah. and Schwimmer. All right. Um, Obviously time anyway. for us to go to our mailbag. Um, why don't we, before we go to the mailbag, why don't we just uh, wish, uh, I think Katie is uh, out running out of time. Sure. Okay. So why don't we uh, say goodnight to Katie? Thank you very much. You've been extremely generous with your time and this was a blast. So, Thank you so much for for joining us. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Katie. We'll speak to you soon. Have a good night. All right, Ob. So uh, now is the time to call the Uh, Yes. Now we're going to head over to the Postman. Postman! Postman, come here! Tell the neighborhood! By the way, one of our our, uh, letters from the Postman had a question for Katie. So uh, maybe maybe you can uh, portray Katie Huffman and attempt to answer the question. Ask Katie Huffman. Oh, I apologize for that, but I think... uh, Katie was running out of time. So yeah. we, uh, so, uh, sorry, Olin, <laughs> we're not going to get to I mean, ask your uh, questions. Directly I hope just, you know, to, to say to Katie's face, you know, so much, you know, I'll read Olin's question. He says, Katie was a worthy Tony winner award winner in the producers. I love her establishment of the character Ula that built a lot of layers to the character from the original film. Ula comes across on the surface and in a male dominated world slash show as being kind of a dumb, sexy blonde, but she seems to be very smart and in control throughout manipulating the men's weaknesses and then he goes on to a question, but yeah, I, I did want to read that to Katie, but uh, yeah. She, All right. Well, so. I, ap- yeah, I apologize. Hopefully she'll listen back. Yeah. Um, but she was running out of time. Yes. Um, oh, he goes on to so, say the strong portrayal of the character, the great singing and dancing performances that she did. So yeah, Olin really a tremendous uh, fan of Katie Huffman on the producers. So, um, 
We have an email from Zach. He says he was all ready to give this five pretties until we got 20 minutes of the producers. Maybe I'd have liked it better if I'd seen the movie play. And then I, I appreciate it, but it was too long. Loved seeing Colbert. The first half was a perfect five, but the second half was tough. Four and a half pretties. Mm. Um, well, so Zach does well have it. a podcast where he watches movies, so maybe he should watch the producers. Um, yeah, so that, that could be like the connection off this episode can be yeah. watching the producers. Listen, Zach, I, uh, will, uh, I would love to be a guest on uh, your Movie Ladder podcast. Uh, maybe, Ab, could you come back as a guest uh, host again? To discuss um, the sure. If we if we do if, we, if they want I'm to do volunteering the producers, you live for uh... so if, yeah whatever um, I don't have that much going on yeah um, so if they um, yeah if they if they listen and then they hear this and they say we'll somehow make it that a future episode will be the producers then we will attempt to go back on for that episode and talk about the producers Sounds since good. that's what Alex just volunteered us for yeah. <laughs> um, and then our second email is from Olin who again I apologize to for cock blocking your question to KD Huffman. But she really did have to go. She found out um, you're a Republican, Owen. And she, uh, said that <laughs> yeah. she found out you're a birdie, bro. Yeah. Um, an episode of two halves, and I enjoyed both. Had a discussion with another of your fans. And as I thought, the second half doesn't work too well if you aren't familiar with the original producer's film, particularly the style of the audience reactions. I thought Schwimmer would have actually been great cast as Leopold Bloom, but don't think Larry would have had quite the vocal abilities for a top-class Broadway show. Yeah. Naturally, <laughs> Katie Huffman came to the fore, and I particularly liked her reactions during Curtain Call. Could see her looking disdainfully at Larry without overplaying it. Also, nice cameo from Nathan Lane. Finally, was the Jeffs just sitting on the plane one of the biggest Seinfeld pieces in Curb with Lane giving out to Putty, although I believe this was an episode after Larry left. Oh, that's interesting. So I wonder if it was like an idea that he had planted that then they used and like he was like, fuck that. That's my idea. I'm using yeah, it I think it's much more likely that they took an old Larry David story and used it than that he yeah. stole an idea from someone else at Seinfeld. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, for the bill of the week, he'll just say the guy who stole Katie's handbag. Yeah, fair. Um, and for the come with guy, Jeff doing all the moves to help Larry make the most of his anniversary present. And he gives the episode four pretties out of five. Mm. All right, so uh, we wrap up a, a tremendous season of Curb. Very, very exciting. A tremendous season, a tremendous week. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't use that word intentionally, but yeah. Next week, we uh, skip ahead 18 months in the world, and it is a season five, episode one, the Larry David Sandwich. Uh, yes. As the uh, Jewish high holidays approach, uh, Larry will have a near-death experience and a comment from his father, which will lead him to wonder if there's more to his identity than he uh, previously thought. Um, a, a a very I remember thinking uh, that it was a real a real left turn for a uh, season uh, for season five of Curb, but uh, again it was also eighteen months later, and this is the first time they had taken such a long break, and so I think we were just so excited uh, to get Curb back in our lives because you know as we just witnessed over the last ten weeks, uh, Curb enthusiasm is it's pretty great, and you know what else is pretty great? I would say not even just pretty great, but the pretty greatest thing ever. Is that last week on this podcast we were very nervous? Oh yeah, we all heard it in our voices. I forgot about that. And I think we, we are no longer as nervous. I think you're still a little nervous. You have like something that you think there's going to be like actually going to be a coup. But I would say the fact that Donald Trump is not the president of the United States anymore is the best example I could think of of something that is <laughs> pretty, 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 pretty good. 